Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. It's a free-for-all edition Flyover Politics Podcast. Woohoo! And welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast. It is the 21st of March, year of our Lord, 2019. Today we're going to do a free-for-all show. We're going to start off the idea that kind of hit me in our first segment. Of course, after our lead-in. The Last Movement to Madness, I watched a movie, and I'm going to play a speech from that movie that at the time was very progressive, and that would be conservative now, which is weird. Our Violent Left 2020 media coverage, because uh, there were some really bad media examples this week, Military Corner Extended Section, and then News and Social Media Nuggets. So right off the bat, um, a lot of tech stuff, so I wanted to hit it in the intro before we even get into the podcast. Uh, there was articles that came out this week. Conservatives face a tough fight as big tech censorship expand. It was literally in the Hill, which surprised me because, you know, they're last to tell us that um, there's any bias in the world. Um, and by the time we start, you know, I get this article. Because remember, I started putting this together for weeks Devin Nunes is suing Twitter. California Devin, Representative Devin Nunes filed a major lawsuit seeking $250 million in compensatory damages and 350000 in punitive damages against Twitter and a handful of its users on Monday accusing the social media site of shadow-banning conservatives, including himself, to influence the 2018 election, systematically censoring opposing viewpoints and totally ignoring lawful complaints of repeated abusive behavior. In a complaint filed in Virginia State Court on Monday, obtained by Fox News, Nunes says Twitter was guilty of knowingly hosting and monetizing content that is clearly abusive, hateful, and defamatory, providing both a voice and financing incentive to defamers. <clears throat> yeah. Response from Jack? Nothing. One thing we've ever gotten on Jack, we're committing Twitter to help increase the collective health, openness, and civility of public conversation and to hold ourselves publicly accountable towards progress. Yeah, which means we're going left. The lady is brand value 4B. Or Liz Bear. And she's asking for people to support him. Then, Sean Davis. Is Twitter experimenting with shadow bans by deleting tweets so others can't see them? but keeping them visible to you while you're logged in. I had to republish my original Lisa Page transcript tweet because it was disappearing to everyone but me. A few days ago, the federal Sean Davis asked a question based on Lisa Page. Um, and, and you see the tweets. They're not there. He got them, but they weren't there. He could see them. Almost a week later, the mystery is solved. This particular passage from Lisa Page's testimony about the FBI Trump investigation is interesting given that we know the facts, blah, 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 blah. 
Hello, our priority is to keep people safe on Twitter. As part of a work, we err on the side of protecting people and sometimes mistakenly remove content that doesn't break our rules. When those mistakes happen, we work quickly to fix them. We have corrected the issue. So he tweets. Twitter confirmed to me today via email that it did shadow ban one of my tweets about Paige congressional testimony and keep people safe. Twitter deliberately deleted the tweet, yet kept it visible for me when I was logged in, so I think it was still up. Twitter claimed and mistakenly removed a completely anodyne tweet about public congressional testimony, but it didn't explain why it left the tweet and metrics showing no engagement visible to me when I logged in. Is conning users a bug or a feature? Twitter gave me no notice or explanation when it shadow banned one of my tweets about Russian interference in our election. But what's worse is how Twitter apparently gives its user the fraudulent impression that their tweets are going out. You know, i got to be quite honest. I have logged in to a other account that I have, and some of my tweets towards, like, Omar. I can see him in the FOP Tony Reid, but I can't see him in the other. the, The tweet never went out. So I think this is their new way of doing it. But must I remind you, Twitter is run by Democratic donors and advocates. I I can read that article again. I really don't want to. It's all the money that they give. They give nothing about it. Then, this very week, New York Times, the case for investigating Facebook. An article in the New York Times. But it's just not Twitter. Vimeo bans church from pushing traditional Christian values. We apologize for any inconvenience and wish you luck in finding a video hosting platform more suitable to your needs. Trust and Safety Department. And all their teaching on homosexuality. Traditional Christian teaching on homosexuality. So they banned it. It's not saying you're going to go to re-education camp. No. Just traditional. See, it's passages from the Bible. I watched the video. But Vimeo banned it. And it's not because they had complaints. They banned it because they're scared of the mob. They're scared of the mob. The five point whatever the fuck we're saying. What we say? 4.5 plus 6? That's 5.1% of the country that literally is running the country pretty much. As we'll see in our 2020, they literally are getting their own debate for the Democrats. An LGBT-centric debate. Which, I don't know why anybody would want to debate for 5.1% of the country. Once again, 0.03% of America fought in these wars. If you're going to pander, pander, pander. And then lastly, Facebook blocks Trump's social media chief. Why are you silencing me? He was blocked this week and YouTube bans a Navy SEAL who exposed Covington activists and showed the videos, more uncovered videos of CNN working with them, grooming them to say the right words, correcting them when they were talking. No, no, you need to say this. They made Hog. They blocked him. Banned him. Yeah. So it goes on. And I'm sure if you tweeted this, Iran building two nuclear plants, 
you'd probably get banned on Twitter because that's happening this week too. But I, you know, what the fuck? Give him four trillion dollars, four billion, whatever the fuck it was. It was a lot of money. Uh, I get. Uh, let's see. Vice Pe- Vice President Pence came in this week because it kind of goes along with this shit. And all these blue checks do the same thing whenever he meets somebody of the LGBT mafia. So we remember Adam Best, homophobe Mike Pence, had to swear in Kristen Cinema, the first out bisexual center in history on a law book and not a Bible. He seems uncomfortable. She's having fun with it. But the picture shows nothing. Then there was Grinnell, Yashar Ali, Vice President swears in Rick Grinnell, who's moving to Berlin to serve as U.S. Ambassador to Grinnell, or Germany, excuse me, holding the Bible is Rick's longtime partner, Matt Ashley. But on the left, it was always so uncomfortable. Now this news. I know they're not a real news source, but they're considered a news source by the media. Please enjoy Irish Prime Minister Leo Vodka bringing his boyfriend to meet Mike Pence. And it totally backfired. Because they wanted to make it, once again, he's a fucking homophobe. He gets uncomfortable around gay people. But as we keep on talking about on our podcast... Gays live amongst us Christian people just fine. It's you liberals they have problems with. Jason Howerton, the scandal of Mike Pence treating gay people like any other normal human being continues. I don't know how he survives this. And and the video actually shows him being super nice. Like, hey, how you doing? Yeah, so that's our intro. It's it's unfucking believable. It it just social media is a joke. Uh, that's why I left Facebook. I've left fucking Twitter. Other than getting news, I rarely tweet. MySpace long gone. I don't do anything on YouTube anymore. I gave up on social media. Social media is just another liberal institution where the liberals out intersectional themselves. I mean, sweet Jesus. So. That gets us started off. We're going to go into a little rant that I thought of this week. And we're going to listen to a speech from the American president. The last couple of months, Senator Rumson has suggested that being president of this country was to a certain extent about character. And although I've not been willing to engage in his attacks on me, I've been here three years and three days And I can tell you without hesitation, being president of this country is entirely about character. For the record, yes, I am a card-carrying member of the ACLU. But the more important question is, why aren't you, Bob? Now, this is an organization whose sole purpose is to defend the Bill of Rights. So it naturally begs the question, why would a senator, his party's most powerful spokesman and a candidate for president, choose to reject upholding the Constitution? Now, if you can answer that question, folks, then you're smarter than I am, because I didn't understand it until a few hours ago. America isn't easy. America is advanced citizenship. You've got to want it bad because it's going to put up a fight. It's going to say, you want free speech? Let's see you acknowledge a man whose words make your blood boil, who's standing center stage and advocating at the top of his lungs that which you would spend a lifetime opposing at the top of yours. You want to claim this land is a land of the free? 
then the symbol of your country cannot just be a flag. The symbol also has to be one of its citizens exercising his right to burn that flag in protest. Now show me that. Defend that. Celebrate that in your classrooms. Then you can stand up and sing about the land of the free. I've known Bob Rumson for years, and I've been operating under the assumption that the reason Bob devotes so much time and energy to shouting at the rain was that he simply didn't get it. Well, I was wrong. Bob's problem isn't that he doesn't get it. Bob's problem is that he can't sell it. We have serious problems to solve, and we need serious people to solve them. And whatever your particular problem is, I promise you, Bob Rumson is not the least bit interested in solving it. He is interested in two things, and two things only, making you afraid of it and telling you who's to blame for it. That, ladies and gentlemen, is how you win elections. You gather a group of middle-aged, middle-class, middle-income voters who remember with longing an easier time, and you talk to them about family and American values and character. And you wave an old photo of the president's girlfriend, and you scream about patriotism. You tell them she's to blame for their lot in life. And you go on television, and you call her a whore. Sydney Ellen Wade has done nothing to you, Bob. She has done nothing but put herself through school, represent the interests of public school teachers, and lobby for the safety of our natural resources. You want a character to debate, Bob? You better stick with me, because Sydney Ellen Wade is way out. That is just the pretty much the ending scene of a movie called the uh, the American President. All right, but Rob Reiner, you, you know who that wacko is. Written by uh, Sorkin, who then spawned West Wing. And that's from 1995. And I thought how interesting it was, because it was 24 years ago. And that was the demonization of a conservative. Basically, uh, he doesn't say a whole lot, um, you know, in the movie. He doesn't have a lot of lines. But he's dating an activist who's a liberal lobbyist for the, um, <laughs> once you know it, it was for the Green Deal of the time. And all this conservative says is, you know, I'm going to bring the bring morals back to America. And they hit him like normal politics. All right, just normal politics at the time. You know, here's this unmarried man. He's got a daughter that live in the White House. He's having some ladies stay over the night. Today... Both sides would bash that. But I thought about, that was liberalism back then. Freedom of speech. And the line that if you, you know, America's tough, you got to be able to listen to somebody speaking the total opposite of what you hold dear. And if the symbol of your country is a flag, allowing them to burn it in protest. Which by no means am I for, even now, 24 years later. But that was a liberal. Now it's the liberals attacking a symbol. Mega hats, flags, whatever. Running people out of fucking restaurants, harassing kids, beating people, trashing their cars, all the stuff we reported in the last two years. And their social media, and the media, and their politicians. 
not accepting any opposing views, crushing opposing views, demeaning opposing views. You know, we watch our TV all the time, and it's always, we just played the last podcast, for the record, that podcast was as fucked up as two boys in a wool sock. I don't know what that means. An old platoon sergeant said it, so I said it when I was a drill sergeant. I said it wasn't a platoon sergeant. It's what I said. I don't know what it means, but it was funny. Get people to break the position of attention, look like the RCA dog when they tilt their head like, what the fuck is he saying? But it was a fucked up podcast. I apologize. The whole college crazy, somehow the volume got fucked up. Because um, of the way I edited it, and I didn't reduce it enough. The back end got totally ripped off, the closing. I don't even know how the fuck that happened because I recorded it full. Something happened in the conversion to uh, MP3, so I apologize. But we did play, and we play numerous, and I've l- alluded to, how we have all these media people coming up and saying, the left is more like America. The American is more like left policies, which is not true at all. We know that. But it makes me think how far the left has gone. You're always told the right is the extremist. You're always told the right is not with American values. Even though we're with America on abortion, we're on America on the wall, we're on America with everything else. Notice there's no polls about stripping the Electoral College, which is a huge thing right now. Media are pushing for it. Because they know American people are like, I don't know. Why the fuck do we want to let fucking California and New York fucking elect the president? But you're always told that. When the Tea Party came out during Obama, the right is a bunch of fucking monkeys, man. They are out of control. They can't control the caucus. Blah, 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 blah. Today we watch the fucking far left running Pelosi. I had a soundbite for this podcast that I scrubbed because I'm truly trying to get under that three hours, two, you know, three and a half hours is too long of a podcast. I don't even listen to the whole thing. Um, and I don't, like, sound conceited, but I usually listen to them to see if it was entertaining and, A, how many fuck-ups I did. But in there, they're saying that college students are literally stating that they look at AOC as the leader of the left, not Pelosi. They're extreme as fuck. But to my point, 24 years, what a liberal was to what it is today. And Andrew Shepard, the character who gave that speech, he's a conservative. He's not a liberal. He wouldn't be a liberal. Now, granted, the second part of that speech is I'm going to get the guns and guns, 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 you know, anti-gun shit. So, yeah, that's, that's liberal. But... What he is calling for is what conservatives are calling for. The ability to have free speech in our country. The ability to be able to have a different point of view on gay, the eco- the economy, the, the fucking climate. I mean, just having an, another opinion. To be able to voice that opinion. To be able to espouse that opinion in our schools, in our press, on a street corner. And the left doesn't allow it. You're going to get an F if you say the things, those things in a college. You're going to get run off campus. You're not going to get on the airwaves. Chuck Todd got a fucking award, a Cronkite, 
not the most vile Cronkite. We'll talk about that in our media section. But he got a Cronkite for doing a one-topic, no-opposing-view climate episode. They gave him a award for it. And as we talk about in our violent letter, somebody's getting attacked every week for wearing a fucking hat. A hat. They've moved past burning flags. They're burning other people's property with Antifa. And I was shocked. I just froze in my little easy chair and went, holy fucking shit. A liberal in 95 is a conservative asking just for free speech. Simple things. The ACLU he spoke of, it's now an extremist group that everybody on the left, any crazy idea is protected by the ACLU. Anybody on the right, they shut them down. Them and SPLC. It makes me look, you know, I watched a couple episodes of uh, The West Wing after this because I was really bored waiting for the wife to come home. And what they were espousing was so liberal at the time. It's not liberal now. It doesn't count as liberal. It's not even progressive. It's centrist. It won't get you elected to president if you're a lefty. You got to be for slave reparations and all sorts of fucking crazy ass shit. And what does that say about progressives? You know, one of the arguments they have is the six or seven last presidents, they had the popular vote, so that's why they want to scrub the the Electoral College. Is it just about power? I think for the party elite, it's just about power, just like the Republicans. But I think liberals have gotten to a point where it's the country itself. They fucking hate America. They hate everything about America as it is and as it's always been. They want it to be something that it's never been and never will be. You push for all this crazy shit, you'll see what America really is, just like you saw in 2016. Black, Latina, what have you, as we go through this podcast, you will see they are more centrist, like the most of us, than these bubble dwellers on the coast who pontificate about trashing the entire thing and starting over. Starting the bread lines, free everything. It's just true. And it's kind of sad. Because at the time, I saw this movie the very first time. I watched it for the love story aspect. It was a really nice love story. Not the politics, because I wasn't really political in 95. But this was during the time when, you know, Slick Willie was getting blowjobs. Everybody around me was losing their jobs because they got a blowjob. It was just a weird time in my life. I was in my 20s and questioning the standards, you know, it, it was like, okay, it isn't what I always thought it was. I thought everybody was treated the same. It's not. And I remember watching it and going, oh, it's kind of liberal. You burn that flag, I'm punching you in your neck hole and you're not taking guns. But I wasn't outraged. 
Because it was just a slight difference from what a conservative was. And yes, the argument can be made that Republican or Democrat, once they take over, it's the same shit every time. True, they block each other, we accomplish nothing. Because we have such a small margin of victory for each side that they claim is a huge margin of victory. You know, it's gigantic. It's a fucking wave. It's always a wave. The red wave, the blue wave, blah, blah, wave. But it's not. It's not a polarity that allows you to fucking pass shit. But they've changed. You're not Andrew Sorkin's progressive anymore. Maybe that's what Andrew Sorkin's wanted. Maybe he wanted this crazy shit that we see now. I don't know. Nobody interviews the guy. But what he was penning for movies and then for the West Wing wouldn't be considered progressive enough. And that's pretty shocking. And you're damn sure not going to see that on CNN. So, into our violent left. And give them a sense of hope. There are more of us than of them, meaning more people that are coming from a place of respect and equality and justice. And if they truly believe that, then they'll feel a little bit more safer in our country. Uh, the president uh, condemned the attack, but he has not yet given a, a direct message to Muslims in the United States or around the world. You just heard uh, Ambassador Brown uh, talk about that. He's, he has. He's talked about standing with uh, our Muslim brothers and sisters, in his words. Um, do you think President Trump needs to make uh, such a gesture? Absolutely. I mean, Ambassador Brown is doing what he needs to do, but he needs to understand President Donald J. Trump is the most powerful man in the world right now. He's in a position, President of the United States, he from the Oval Office, from that power position, can be able to send a signal very loud and clear. And we've done this in the past against foreign uh, terrorism. We need to do it on domestic terrorism against white supremacy that is growing every single day that we stay silent. Not myself, but the leadership, the administration, when they continue to stay silent, it's going to increase. I remember Oak Creek I remember hearing about the Pittsburgh Synagogue very shortly. I mean, these are constant from the black church in Charleston. It will not stop until we send a loud signal and put the resources together to combat it and to stop it. Because it is probably the most dangerous uh, element of terrorism and that's making us less safe in our country than what we might think about what's happening outside uh, of the lines of our, of, of our country. We need to be focused on what's happening from within. <clears throat> you also said in a statement after the attack that you were angry at, quote, those who follow the white supremacy agenda in my own country that sends a signal across the world that massacres like this is some kind of call to action. Who, who are you specifically talking about? The ones that stay silent and the ones that support the Muslim ban. Not only once, but twice, three times did we in this nation say to the world and to everyone in this country that Muslims don't belong here. From the fact that every time we talk about a wall, it's not about a structure, but about xenophobia. It's about racism. It is a symbol in so many ways of, of targeting brown and black people in our country. The fact that we continue to stay silent is what's going to make us as a country less safe. And I can tell you, it's not just brown, black people speaking up. It is also white Americans across this country that are very distressed and also feel less safe because we're not speaking up against white nationalism. President Trump said he didn't really see white supremacists as a rising threat around the world when asked in the Oval Office on Friday and said he called them a, a quote, small group of people that have very, very serious problems, unquote. What did you make of that? 
Well, I think he needs to pick up the phone and call the Department of Justice. There is real data and information currently right now of the rise of white supremacy right here in this United States of America. Uh, he needs to look at the data and the information and the facts and actually listen and understand the tremendous responsibility he has in being our president, our leader of our country. He cannot just say it's a small group of people. There's too many deaths. Not only from the synagogue to the black churches to the temples to the now the mosques. We need to be speaking up against this. And it has to start with him reiterating the importance of real information and data that says it's on rise. You can't just say it isn't uh, when the facts say the complete opposite. Uh, he needs to do better by us in the country. He needs to speak up and condemn this very loud and very clearly. Chelsea Clinton was confronted by uh, an NYU student at a vigil for those killed in New Zealand this weekend uh, over the way that she, Chelsea Clinton, had condemned recent comments from Congress. Islamophobia. Let's watch that. We ask our political leaders <clears throat> to address the growing menace of Islamophobia and hate that has been perpetrated by political leaders, by ideologues, by people who want to run for public office, by people who won public office on the backs of immigrants, blacks, Jews, Muslims, and all minorities. We hold them accountable because their words matter. Their policies matter. Well, President Trump, who condemned the, the attack, seemed to minimize the threat of white nationalism generally. Let's watch him here. We see today white nationalism as a rising threat around the world. I don't really. I think it's a uh, small group of people that have very, very serious problems. I guess if you look at what happened in New Zealand, perhaps that's a case. I don't know enough about it yet. They're just learning about the person and the people involved. Uh, but it's a, certainly a terrible thing. Terrible thing. Kieser, why do you President, think he plays it down? I want to go to Kieser first. I'm this sorry, is, Rabbi. Okay, this no is problem. nothing new. This is political expediency. He is known for that. He will exploit anything to benefit himself. This is, he's talking on behalf of his base. This is what this terrorist in New Zealand wrote in his manifesto. He says, Trump is the symbol of renewed white identity and common purpose. Yeah. That Rabbi, let, me, let me go to how Trump does this discrimination number in this horrible world. If somebody comes into the country without papers and kills somebody in San Francisco or anywhere, they become, they, the victims are all angels. And I understand that, that way he does that, that rhetorical text. But in a case where a white nationalist kills all kinds of people, it's, it's very short shrift. It's like, let's move on. Let's, let's get over this quickly. It's just a slight case of a guy who, had, quote, has problems. I wasn't sure what that meant. Sociologically or psychologically, it's a dangerous way of phrasing it, I thought, because he might be, who knows what he was doing with that phrase. Your thoughts, Rabbi. He is very discriminatory in what he condemns. Well, I agree. And, and the rhetoric is important coming from one of the most powerful people in the world. His words matter. I don't know enough about the situation. You know enough to tell that it's wrong. This is wrong. The killing of people in New Zealand is wrong. White supremacy is wrong. It's not a matter of good people on both sides. And I think the rhetoric 
the, the statements have to be stronger from our leaders and also the people who enable our leaders who let them get away with these, uh, you know, Chris, this, is, this show is called Hardball. I see this as Wiffleball, uh, mm. these statements that come from Viewers should know this president and this administration is often castigated as Islamophobic, but I move in the Muslim world, in Egypt, in Oman, in Jordan, in Iraqi Kurdistan, where this president is beloved. This president and the Republican Party, going back to George Bush, is very dearly held. Today is the anniversary of Halabja, the massacre of 180,000 Kurds at the hands of Saddam Hussein. That only changed because of a Republican president. So it's very important not to, not to uh, uh, lose so much perspective that we start believing our entire government is Islamophobic. That's not the case. Dr. Kanta Ahmed. Always a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. The White House trying to say that's, you know, the criticism's undue. That's not what he's really doing. Reading the um, tweets this weekend, I thought of George W. Bush after 9-11 going to a mosque and saying, we are not at war with Islam. Just, you know, reaching out and trying to, you know, define both himself and the United States as a country that welcomes people of all religions. That is completely foreign to, to Donald Trump. I mean, the, you know, it, it really is worth reading all of these tweets together. You know, we should give our audience a reading assignment of reading these tweets just to see the insight into who Donald Trump is. Because these are unmediated, no, no you know, staffers involved versions of what Donald Trump is thinking, and it is a remarkable tableau. Yeah, it isn't expressing concern about the rise of white nationalism. It's personal right. grievance. I mean, that is what he is fixated but on. But it's personal grievance that is precisely consistent with the white nationalist agenda. I mean, it's not white nationalism, but, you know, everything he says about immigrants, about immigration, about the wall, about, you know, the, the fact that there is no white nationalist problem is consistent with that view. And he stuck up for Janine Pirro. Janine Pirro, Pirro Fox right, News host, right. suspended. She got suspended from Fox News, which is an achievement. Okay, Janine Pirro suspended. The president went out of his way to praise her and say, we got to fight against political correctness. She got suspended for an anti-Muslim comment. Correct. Right. And, 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 and it's just, you know, it, it is not... Everything is consistent. Everything that Donald Trump does is consistent with who he is. And I think, you know, you gave your reasons at the beginning of why the, you know, I don't think it's like a distraction from the Mueller report. This is who Donald Trump is. This is the kind of presidency he's conducting. And he does it, you know, every day. It's not like right. this was some sort of aberration. I'm sorry. No, that's, and that's really the point. I mean, I think, you know, John, you said earlier this morning, I mean, this was a president who back in 2016, I remember, said that, you know, uh, President Trump also spent the weekend lashing out at Republican Senator John McCain, who passed away last August after battling an aggressive brain tumor. On Saturday, the president tweeted a quote from former independent counsel Ken Starr, saying spreading the fake and totally discredited dossier is unfortunately a very dark stain against John McCain. Referring to a dossier that allegedly included information linking Trump to the Russian government, 
Trump added McCain had far worse stains than this, including thumbs down on repeal and replace after years of campaigning to repeal and replace. The late senator's daughter, Meghan McCain, tweeted in response, no one will ever love you the way they loved my father. I wish I had been given more Saturdays with him. Maybe spend yours with your family instead of on Twitter obsessing over mine. But the president didn't stop there. Yesterday he tweeted, so it was indeed just proven in court papers last in his class Annapolis, John McCain, that sent the fake dossier to FBI and media hoping to have it printed before election. Anyhow, going back to George Conway's tweet, um, his condition is getting worse. It's something we've talked about, you know, in the past two years. and, And now we're getting to a point, Joe, where... Reason will tell you something is wrong. It may have been too early to be emotionally jumping to those conclusions. I regret that. But reason will tell you something is very, very wrong. And at the very least, this president, knowing his patterns, is desperately trying to deflect from some sort of reality that bothers him. But he does not have the discipline. He doesn't have the ability to hold himself back when he spends an entire weekend where the world should be mourning over the the ramifications of hatred, yep. tweeting ridiculous things. Well, you know, uh, again, people that, not that, well. people that know him say this privately. Uh, John George Conway said it publicly. Uh, this is not, uh, this is not uh, normal behavior. No. Uh, it's it's abhorrent. We wouldn't accept it from it, our children. It's abhorrent behavior, and it's so it's again it's so it's so incredible that the people who still blindly stand by Donald Trump and say what's wrong with Donald Trump and oh he's great no the media is just after Donald Trump you you just look at their children and you wonder this is the example that their children are being given from their parents and you wonder how those kids are going to grow up how's a generation going to grow up we've already talked about and we're not going to get into it here the impact that Bill Clinton had and. 98, 99 on middle schools and high schools across America. You and I saw that personally. Yeah, I know. Uh, I do worry about and, that. And, and uh, very concerned about the impact that uh, parents who sit by and, and continue to raise up a man who lies every day, uh, who besmirches people's uh, character every day, who, who it does basically does the opposite of every single thing Jesus talked about in the Beatitudes, and look them up in Matthew if you'd like to, uh, that they are holding that man up and even sending their kids out in Trump uh, uniforms for Halloween uh, out out of admiration. It's it's, uh, a thousand questions uh, will be asked about that in years to come. But Mike, let's just, let's stay a little more narrowly focused on John McCain. Um, again, we, we don't have to talk about John McCain's extraordinary legacy. It speaks for itself. Uh, but there is no doubt that uh, Donald Trump is tortured so much so that a man who's now been dead for six months uh, has his grades in college attacked by a man who, who I guess, did so horribly in college and was such a pathetic student that he had to send his lawyer out to threat the schools not to release what we can only assume are the absolute worst grades that Wharton, have e- Wharton has ever given out. Mm-hmm. Joe, Donald Trump's life was gifted to him by his father. 
John McCain's life was almost taken from him by the North Vietnamese for over five years in a small cell, no larger than a closet. I've stood in that cell. Uh, Donald Trump knows that he will never, ever be able to measure up to John McCain. You have to figure that's part of the reason for the constant and continuing vendetta he has against John McCain. John McCain had the one most valuable thing a human being can have that Donald Trump will never have. It's called character. And all of us here today, thinking of the tweets over the weekend, the volley of madness that arose from the president's fingers as he spent the weekend texting and tweeting uh, while we had this horrendous tragedy in Christchurch in New Zealand, while Europe teeters on the brink of true economic chaos with Brexit, while Middle East still rages with war, this is what he does. Makes comments about Fox TV hosts and substitute weekend hosts. Uh, As the nation, the biggest danger, Joe, I would think, is that he has normalized so much aberrant behavior that now so much of the nation just shrugs its shoulders and moves on in the face of these lies, these bold-faced lies emanating from the President of the United States. You know, at some point in this campaign that has just begun, some one of these candidates running for president is going to stand up and ask the question, what kind of a country do you want? It's your call, your choice, your vote. Is this what you want? Is this what you want your children to grow up under? This kind of tenor? This kind of language? It's your choice. Now I'm going to run this like they run it. If you're talking evil, guess what? You're violent. Because you're riling people up. We're going to play this violent left, just like the left plays with everything. I don't agree with it, but that's how they play it. So, would you ever think Steve King would get on TV and be able to talk about the evils of the other party? Like Talib was in the beginning there. Then they brought out Khan. Yeah, Khan. Then Tubin and Mojo freaking out about tweets. I mean, the whole mentally ill came back out again. All right. I mean, I'm just not playing it. It's like saying everything's racist nowadays. I mean, it just doesn't mean anything anymore. Every fucking time they don't have anything on Russia, because they don't have anything on Russia, it turns into, oh my god, he's mentally ill. Somebody in the White House needs to get him a fucking doctor. And then, of course, we had more protesters of Tucker because the whole Media Matters for America bullshit just didn't work out the way they wanted. This right here is the house of Tucker Carlson, the leading figure in American racism today, and sexism, we all know this, based on the quotes that have just been, uh, that everyone's heard. We hope that you do lose your job, and we hope you can't afford to live here in this fancy house, with your pool in the backyard, and uh, have to go back to wherever you're from. Get out of D.C. We think you're a racist slob, and we hope you lose your job! We think you're a racist slob, and we hope you lose your job! 
your job. Yo, you know who does a lot of work, hard work? Women. Yeah. Yeah. You know who Tucker thinks is primitive? Women. Women, yeah. Tucker, we're here because you're racist, you're sexist, you're anti-gay, and we really wish that you would go away. Note that he did go away when he heard we were coming. Why are you scared of bananas, Tucker? Do you think we're some like uh, part of big gay to like make children gay or something? Like, is that why you're afraid of them? Are you afraid? Uh, afraid us bananas are gonna make you gay? I think that's what Tucker thinks. Yeah, I think. Yeah, Tucker's afraid of us because he thinks bananas make him, make people gay. I, I already said it. Well, you can say it louder if you feel like. No, I'm okay. <laughs> let's, let's, let's leave it. Now, understand, they weren't fucking banana suits. I don't know if that's like a CNN thing. But once again, going to a person's house, harassing them. Could you do that on the right? Can I go hang out fucking Joy Ree's house and call her a fucking racist every day? And we're talking about rhetoric here. We're talking about, you heard it, that's what the standard we're holding them to. Oh, you know, it's it, he has a direct effect on New Zealand and maybe even Australia, which I don't know what the fuck happened in Australia. There's something that happened in Europe. It was an Islamist. We're going to talk about it in a second, but I guess that doesn't count, right? So SPLC came out because you know the media was going to push it. What do you think about it? Do you think white supremacy, white supremacy, white supremacy, white supremacy? Because he won't take the bait and say what they want him to say, which is every white person's a fucking racist piece of shit. The internet is not a liberal haven. It's actually white supremacist haven. All there are is white supremacists on Twitter, on Facebook, everywhere, Twitter, yarrr! So he answers it, and this is what SPLC did. I once again am making the case. SPLC brainwashes people, and eventually it's going to have problems. I don't say eventually. I guess I should say it already has problems. The attacks we see on individual Americans for wearing a red hat. An attack on a fucking baseball diamond comes from SPLC directly, targeting conservatives and ratcheting up the rancor of how horrible they are because they won't say what you want them to say, but they're actually not telling people to go out and kill people or all blacks need to be in chains like Biden. So his asked answer, we'll hear, but this is what they tweeted. Reporter, do you see white nationalism as a rising threat around the world? Trump, I don't really. That's all they said. We saw a 50% increase in white nationalist hate groups during 2718. That's a fucking lie. That stat's totally wrong. That's based on their... 50%. They they think everything. Any conservative group, a church, Catholic, non-Muslim, any group. If me and a bunch of white guys started the white guy group, we're a hate group. That's how SPLC works. So Ryan Savander goes, why did the Southern Poverty Law Center not include the full quote? Here is actually what he said. Rising threat around the world. I don't really. I think it's a uh, small group of people that have very, very serious problems. I guess if you look at what happened in New Zealand, perhaps that's a case. I don't know enough about it yet. They're just learning about the person and the people involved. Uh, but it's a, certainly a terrible thing. Terrible thing. Yes. Full quote. I don't really. I think it's a small group of people that have a very, very 
serious problem. I, I, what is wrong with that statement? It's semantics. Once again, the bias of omission is the worst thing anybody can do. When you omit full facts, when you omit full quotes, you're an asshole. And that's why social media is entirely tribal. That's why I play long sound bites, not sound snips. So you can hear the context and make up your own mind. AOC rolled out a bunch of fucking bullshit stats. Brian Seltzer, Anna Caraba. Instead of joining the world, condemning its its hatred and offering support to the Muslim community in New Zealand and across the globe, President Trump is tweeting that Saturday Night Live hurt his feelings. That's a fucking journalist retweeting a journalist, and he did condemn it. But what do you want him to do? See, he's in a catch-22 now. There's nothing he can do. You've already pinned him as the supreme grand wizard of the white supremacy society. The leader of the alt-right, some bullshit you brought up, but there's more problems from the alt-left than the alt-right. And you're deflecting. Because right when this is happening, you're not talking about the anti-Semitism, the Islamist problem, you downplay it. You don't even cover it. The Washington Post, the double byline article that would have also been touched by at least one editor, just floated the that Israel is a Jewish-only state. That's a lie. It's not a Jewish-only state. Gerald Byer from a Rashida Tlaib tweet this morning. My city grandmother who lives in Palestine. She's going off on a whole Islamist thing. Omar is blaming Trump because Minnesota Democrats are contemplating primarying her. Breaking. Minnesota Democrats make move to remove Ilian Omar from Congress. Her tweet. I am sorry, Mr. President or Mr. Real Donald Trump, I am for real. You can't Muslim ban us from Congress. Do you see what they do? They just lie. From the first time Trump uttered a thing, and and he's a horrible orator. I'm a bad orator. I say things that hang out there, and you can go, what the fuck did he just say? He didn't call him murder racist. It wasn't a Muslim ban. It was a country ban. But they ratchet it up. They have these people believing that everybody who voted for Trump is a xenophobe, Islamophobe, homophobe, transphobe, sexist, racist, and all the other is they can come up with. And it's not true. And even the constituent of Omar know it. Representative Ian Omar, constituents aren't happy with her rhetoric and they're not being quiet about it. Last week, several outlets, including the Daily Wire, reported that Democrats in Minnesota are considering recruiting a primary challenger to Omar, even though she's only been in office three months. This week, CNN added to the rumor mill, reporting that Omar's constituents, even those who share a background in her faith, are uneasy with Omar's rhetoric and may be open to considering other options. The Hill kicked off reports last week 
The Minnesota Democrats were seeking a primary challenger for Omar, particularly local, local Jewish Democrats who have been shocked and offended by Omar's blatantly anti-Semitic comments since assuming office, her dual loyalty, and blah, 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 blah. There's definitely some buzz, go, buzz, buzz going on around about it, but it's more a buzz of, is anyone talking about finding someone to run against her than it is anyone saying they're going to run against her is contemplating it. The deaf will talk about people wanting someone to run against her. Over the weekend, the news seemed to hit home when, oh, with Omar, and she did this stupid fucking tweet that we already talked about. CNN, hardly a right-leaning publication, is to be believed. It isn't just fellow politicians who are growing tired of Omar's public cause <clears throat> against the right of Israel to exist. Her constituents, including Somali and Muslim constituents, aren't happy with how Omar has handled her first three weeks in public office. When David Duke of the Ku Klux Klan agrees with you, Mohammed Ahmed, one of Omar's constituents, told the network, you're not doing something right. The four constituents interviewed by CNN also agreed with moderate Democrats and Republicans who qualified Omar's statement about dual loyalty and APAC as hateful towards the Jewish people, not mere criticism of Israel itself or Zionism. Omar Jamal, Steve Hunigs, Mohammed Ahmed, and A.V. Olitsky agree on the characterization of language Omar used. When Omar talked about Israel hypnotizing the world, they said it was anti-Semitic. CNN reported. And when she questioned whether American lawmakers and lobbyists and loyalty to Israel, they said it was anti-Semitic. Local leaders want her to understand why her words were causing so much pain. When you are elected, you're supposed to bring people together. You're supposed to create a sense of unity instead of farther dividing them and pitting one group against the other. I speak as a friend of Israel and a brother to the Palestinian by faith. Jamal continued, we believe in Palestinian rights of freedom, but we will not do it by denigrating our Jewish community. Jesus Christ. Concern within the Omar camp is evident. Likely on the advice of top Democrats, Omar published an op-ed in the Washington Post over the weekend, tended to clarify our overall vision for foreign policy. In it, she claims to support a two-state solution. Lie. She says she's just very concerned about the well-being of Palestinians, something that she believes can give way to honest criticism of Israeli policies. My goal of speaking out at all times has been to encourage both sides to move toward a peaceful two-state solution. We need to reinstate the call back into the public debate with urgency. Both parties must come to the table for a final peace deal, blah, blah, blah. The problem is, of course, that a lengthy Washington Post article doesn't seem to match up with her public platform. Omar has been vocal about her support for anti-Semitic boycott to vest sanction movement, which calls for the abject destruction of the state of Israel and denies Israel right to exist. Not a two-state solution. Other articles from Shireen Kadusi. Ilian Omar doesn't represent American Muslims. She represents Islamists. Oh, you've got to be fucking kidding me. you got to be kidding me. Really? Holy shit! That's what I say! I'm just some crazy dipshit! Then we get to the person that attacked Chelsea Clinton. Verbally assaulted a pregnant woman. John Levine. Student and confronted Chelsea Clinton, Clinton apologizes for past use of racial and homophobic slurs. 
her tweet, if my words were six years ago, I sincerely hurt you. I genuinely apologize. Please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I want to be held accountable to everyone impacted by this. My words from six years ago. Do you see when it happens to the left, they're like, ah, you, you get over yourself. This is what she said. Stop being a faggot. I want you to understand that's still on Twitter. Stop being a faggot. As sure as I'm a bald, fat, white guy, if I uttered stop being a faggot, I would be banned from Twitter. Not suspended. Banned. But this is a liberal, and it's still on her shit. And, and understand, I know she's a nobody that now becomes a somebody, but in the somebody, you think Twitter would be going through there and checking it out to make sure they protect this hero of the left. Other one, Drake is a faggot. Relentless Blair, laugh out loud. That faggot doesn't know what's coming. Ashwin 22, don't be a faggot. Drake Lenny, you're a faggot. So when people call their honor bullshit, because she got an op-ed. This is her fold screed. Sorry, I had to put a dip in. That probably didn't sound too good. Okay, the biggest thing I wanted to say, but unfortunately I've not been able to appropriately due to multiple Twitter suspensions and timing. The only thing throughout this whole spectacle that has left me truly unsettled is that thought that any of my black and LGBT comrades think that I do not completely support their lives and rights because of things I stu- stupidly tweeted when I was a sophomore in high school. Stop. She didn't get tweeted. She said that another conservative guy said she never got banned. She was never banned. He was looking at her site. She wasn't banned. She didn't get banned. She kept on tweeting. But she's saying that because she has to say that. She's going to feed into the what the right's saying, that it only happens to the right. For my black friends, please know I will always stand unequivocally behind you. Six years ago, I tweeted quotes my black friend said to me, not then recognizing that even typing out the words someone else had used was not my right. I understand the violent history of the N-word and apologize to everyone in the black community, especially those who feel hurt by this. Please reach out to me if you want to talk. I will listen. Stop. If I typed, and I'm not saying the word, I'm saying it for an example. What's up, my nigga? With the A on the end. Do you think that would stand on Twitter? I'm a conservative. That would not stand. For my LGBTQ friends, the F word is something I picked up from my particularly toxic individual who was then in my life who actually mentioned in the screenshot going around. This doesn't excuse the use of the word, but please know that even at that time I was outspoken about my support for gay rights, which has conveniently been left out by the trolls who scoured my Twitter. I did not see the disconnect between using such language and supporting the gay community. Blah, blah, blah. Yada, yada, yada. Shut the fuck up. Here's the reality. The left has always got an excuse for why they do shit. And that excuse is taken. If you say, I'm retweeting somebody that used the N-word. If I retweeted somebody that used faggot. If I retweeted somebody with the biatch. You don't get away with it. Remember, during an election for the President of the United States... We jerked off for almost two weeks over fucking Rush Limbaugh calling Sandra Fluke a slut. 
that was held against every Republican person on the planet. When David Duke opens his cock trap, every conservative owns those words. But when Reverend Wright, Farrakhan, Joy Reid, Alec Baldwin, they've all said this shit. Nobody's held accountable. They get to two-step their way the fuck out of it. And why am I covering it? Dutch police of massive manhood have suspected terrorist attack on a train. 37-year-old Turkish man who killed three and wounded nine in the Dutch city of Uruk. They've caught him now. Here's my question. Why is no more help for that? Why isn't Tlaib? Why isn't Farrakhan? Why isn't the entire left... Why isn't the media going on TV and saying the rhetoric out of Ilian Omar caused this terrorist attack? Why? I mean, I know the answer, because she didn't. Neither did Trump. If you can get away with using the words of somebody else made me kill somebody in court, I want to know where that court is. But in the court of public opinion, every fucking time somebody does something, even when they're liberals. Now understand, the guy in New Zealand was an eco-climist guy. He wasn't a white supremacist. His manifesto said he didn't like any of the policies of Trump, but he liked Trump's nationalism. That's how they did the six degrees of separation that it, it's his fault. He he motivated him to do this shit. Words matter. Well, if words fucking matter, hypnotizing the world should matter every time a fucking Islamist picks up a bomb, a rifle, a fucking knife. And it should land on the fucking burkered outfit of fucking Ilian Omar, who's an Islamist. Her words matter. She's in the United States Congress. Every time a train is attacked by some Turkish dude, Rashida Tlaib should be made to answer for that attack. If that's the game we're playing. It's just not Trump. It's every goddamn conservative on the planet. If a fucking gay person stubs their fucking toe, Christians are held accountable for the stubbed toe. If you just accept them, they wouldn't stub their toe, the media says. If words really matter, then both sides would be held to their words. But they don't matter. They don't matter at all. And once again, they shouldn't. Me on here saying Ilya Omar is a fucking hateful Islamist. She spits more venom than fucking Al-Qaeda guys I met. Who are POWs. And she goes out and gets fucking shot. I didn't make somebody shoot her. I didn't advocate for her to be shot. Nor would I. But that's the game we play. 
And it causes all this violence. They don't want to talk about the violence. They don't want to talk about the hundreds of people assaulted verbally, physically, property, just for being Trump supporters. And understand, if a motherfucker burned a flag, I would go to jail and punch that ass. I am not one of those soldiers. I understand I fought to defend the Constitution and give people free speech. That's not free speech. I don't give a fuck what the Supreme Court said. I don't give a fuck what goddamn Professor Obama said. I don't give a fuck. That's not speech. Burning other people's property or your own property is not free speech. It's not free speech. It's a symbol. If we can go around and do the Confederate flag craziness and rip it down and say it's the horriblest flag in the world because it stands for something and then argue you can burn that flag of America because it doesn't stand for shit. No. You don't get it both ways, media. You don't get it both ways, progressives. No. Fucking hell to the fucking no. Moving on. Pro-life demonstrator punched in the face. Women's Health Click Harvard Street. This was in Massachusetts. They were standing outside. They didn't have gross shit. And somebody's walked up and punched them. Didn't make the media. No. But this made the media this week. Paul Krugman. Getting real about rural America. Nobody knows how to reverse the heartland's decline. Things clump together. The periphery cannot hold. As you read this, Democratic presidential hopefuls are crisscrossing Iowa trying to assure farmers that they share their concerns. Commentators are publishing opinion pieces about how Democrats can win back rural voters. Think tanks are issuing manifestos about reviewing heartland economies. There's nothing wrong with discussing these issues. Rural lives matter. We're all Americans and deserve to share in the nation's wealth. Rural votes matter even more. Like it or not, our political system gives usually disproportionate weight to less populous states, which are also generally states with relatively rural populations. But it's also important to get real. There are powerful forces behind the relative and, in some cases, absolute economic decline of rural America, and the truth is that nobody knows how to reverse these forces. Put it this way, many of the problems facing America have easy technical solutions. All we lack is the political will. Every other advanced country provides universal health care, affordable child care within easy reach. Rebuilding our fraying infrastructure would be expensive, but we could afford it, and it might well pay for itself. But reviving declining regions is really hard. Many countries have tried, but it's difficult to find any convincing success stories. The peace devolves from there, and pretty says, fuck them chucks. Fuck them. Nobody should live there anywhere. It's all bullshit. His closing, I'm sure that some rural readers will be angered by everything I've just said, seeing it as typical big city condescension. But that's neither my intention nor the point. I'm simply trying to get real. We can't help rural America without understanding that the role it used to play in our nation is being undermined by powerful economic forces that nobody knows how to stop. Fuck you. Fuck your roads. Fuck everything about you. You don't matter. The problem is, that's what the left has thought since Clinton. 
The left believes, thus they're pushing for, the banning of the Electoral College. They don't need the middle of the country. They write flyover state fucking condescension every goddamn week. Who gives a fuck what you what you feel like in Iowa? Fuck Tennessee. They were part of the Confederacy. That attitude hasn't changed in a hundred and some odd years. 140 something. I believe I figured it out the other day. It's almost 150, 145 years. Do those words matter? Anybody? Saying part of the country, just fuck that part of the country, fuck them. Fuck them in the ass. I guess not. I guess it doesn't matter. But every time you write an op-ed that part of the country doesn't matter, you're telling everybody on the coast, fuck them. Fuck them. And you're ratcheting up, changing America forever so you can win elections. Really. Huh. So we're going to go to a music break. I woke up this morning with this head, this music stuck in my head. And once again, for everybody out there, I don't have music rights in this shit. I didn't make the music. Everybody fucking knows us. This is a podcast. So I play music and I strip off all the bullshit. But I didn't say I'm out here playing this goddamn music. I got reported once because I played something from Jimi Hendrix in the back of a bumper. And somebody got really upset about it and reported me. But I do it just so you have something to listen to for a few seconds. It isn't me running my fucking cock trap. So I'm... I figure, what the hell? Here's a little music. Boom, we go to the next segment. So, we're going to play a Devo song. Yeah, Devo. I was in a Devo. I was a geek. I don't know why I like this. I played it this morning. My wife literally just looked at me like, what the fuck is wrong with you? But then I played the Buble concert from last night, which is really good. If you didn't tape it, tape it. Buble is like the modern Frank Sinatra. Love that guy. So, we'll do a Devo song, and we're going into 2020. Some Beto, but mostly CNN rolled out the red carpet. For that fucking piece of shit, lying, fucking cultural appropriator, and gave her a town hall. She sits in the top of the greenest tree. She stands 
Canadia Bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away. Are you for third trimester abortions or are you going to protect the lives of third trimester babies? Because, you know, there's really not a medical necessity for abortion. It's not a medical emergency procedure because typically third trimester abortions take up to three days to have. So you would, in that sense, if there was an emergency, the doctors would just do a C-section and you don't have to kill the baby in that essence. So are you for or against third trimester abortions? So the, the question is about abortion and reproductive rights. And, and my answer to you is that that should be a decision that the woman makes. So I just want to sure. make sure that I had clarity. Yesterday on abortion, you said it's a woman's okay. right to choose. Correct? Absolutely. Does that include it up until the third trimester? Listen, I, I, I think those decisions are, are best left to a woman um, and her doctor. I know better than to assume anything uh, about a, a woman's decision, uh, an incredibly difficult decision uh, uh, when it comes to her reproductive rights. And so, um, Roe versus Wade, though it is being tested like any other time, still the law of the land must be upheld. And we must ensure that when we're talking about universal health care, we're also talking about women's health care. And when we're talking about women's health care, we're talking about women. That's how extreme they are. He's for universal health care, abortion till birth. Wasn't that special? That's where the left is now. Yeah. I'm going to pay for you to have a baby born. I don't want it's got blue eyes. Kill that motherfucker. Piece of shit. Playing politics, Reuters reporter admits he bared bad, buried bad Beto scoop. Literal articles now, even on CNN. Do you notice how this all works? It always benefits the left. We bury photos of Farrakhan on fucking Obi-Wan Kenobi. We bury information on everybody till after elections, then we release it on a Friday dump. Nobody knows about it. The amazing thing and why I'm double tapping it is that literally, literally, folks, I knew that last podcast. It was on Twitter. The media ignored it, then they picked it up because they didn't have a choice. So then once again, CNN goes, we want more liberalism. And we're going to give a person... Elizabeth Warren, who lied about her fucking ethnicity for her entire life, got Cush Harvard fucking law jobs. She used it for her benefit, and she's as much Indian as my dick is. But back in the day, I did do some all. Yeah, 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 oh, against Indians. Don't do that to <laughs> Anyway, joke fell flat. Point is, she's not an Indian, but they gave her a cakewalk. A fucking cakewalk loaded only her people town hall. Every one of them got it. 
I want you to think, how many conservative town halls did CNN do during the last election cycle? Did all of them get one? Because right now, everyone on the left, except for that Asian dude who's actually up to 3% now, and, and, you know, Oprah's friend. She hasn't got one, but she probably will. I believe it's time to start the national, full-blown conversation about reparations in this country. And that means I support the bill in the House to appoint a congressional panel to, of experts, of people who are studying this, who talk about different ways we may be able to do it, and to make a report back to Congress so that we can, as a nation, do what's right and begin to heal. My question is, Mississippi is a deeply red state and one of the poorest states in the country, yet many white poor and working class citizens continue to vote against their economic interests. What message, if any, do you have that may resonate with them, that may encourage them to vote for you? Since the election of Donald Trump, the number of hate crimes has increased and white supremacists have become more emboldened online and in public. What are your plans to unite the country? Oh, good. How do you respond to people who think that regardless of the underlying facts, the way you handled the question of your Native American heritage was tone deaf, offensive, and indicative of a lack of presidential tact? With Jackson, Mississippi having a very high homicide rate, will there be any revisions to gun control to help ensure less killings throughout the metropolitan city? Presently, the state of Mississippi imposes a special tax on owners of electric and hybrid vehicles as a penalty for paying less in gas taxes. Do you believe this is the right approach, considering the warnings about climate change? And what would you propose to encourage the increased use of alternative energy? Okay. I just want to follow up on Maggie's uh, question, because uh, she talked about the gas tax. And the, as you know, the federal gas tax has not been raised since I know. 1993, leaving many states to fend for themselves to maintain the roads and bridges. Uh, would you support, theoretically, raising the gas tax to pay for the infrastructure needs? What is your position on the impeachment of Donald Trump. I have one final question for you, uh, Senator. Faith is very important to many people across the country. It's very important to many people in Mississippi. What role does faith play in your life, your, your public life and your private life? And that is, I believe we need a constitutional amendment that protects the right to vote for every American citizen and to make sure that vote gets counted. We need to put some federal muscle behind that. And we need to repeal every one of the voter suppression laws that is out there right now. And I'll tell you one more. We need to make sure that every vote counts. And and I want to I want to push that right here in Mississippi, because I think this is an important point. You know, come a general election, presidential candidates don't come to places like Mississippi. Yeah, they also don't come to places like California and Massachusetts. 
right? Because we're not the battleground states. Well, my view is that every vote matters. And the way we can make that happen... is that we can have national voting, and that means get rid of the Electoral College and everybody. Yep. Everybody. I want to, uh... Everybody ought to have to come and ask for your vote. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, no shit. Free college, health care, reparations. I don't know how the fuck you do that now because not every black person was a slave and not every white person was a slave owner. But I guess we're going to pay anyway. No electoral college. Abortion for fucking life. That's their platform. Your kid fails out of high school. Abort that motherfucker. And the dead kid could have free college. Okay. Candidates propose changes to fix the flaw in Constitution that allow Republicans to be elected. This is the, um, the B. A number of Democrats have proposed changes to the structure of government that they think would help them win, such as lowering the voting age to 16, abolishing the Electoral College, packing the Supreme Court, and changing how Senate seats are allocated. Now, though some of the Democratic presidential hopefuls are attacking the heart of the matter, what they call an outdated constitution that sometimes allows Republicans to be elected. The election of Trump exposed a fundamental flaw in the Constitution, Warren said at a campaign rally. Everyone said Hillary was supposed to win, but she didn't. And we're afraid that in the future, maybe Democrats won't win again. We can't allow that. Warren and numerous other Democrats have proposed an amendment to the Constitution that will state that only Democrats are allowed to win elections, a proposal that say, they say will increase election fairness. When I think about someone other than a Democrat being elected, Cory Booker said, it makes me so mad. He then raised his fists and shook them, a gesture indicating he was mad. Candidate Beto O'Rourke also spoke for the proposed amendment, though all he got out was, it's great, before skateboarding into a tree and quickly fleeing the scene of the incident. (laughs) None of the candidates have explained how they propose to get two-thirds of the states to agree with this amendment, though this has led them to point out another flaw with the Constitution, that it's way too hard to change when you suddenly think you have a much better idea. Op-eds all over the place. They're still rolling them out. You rural motherfuckers don't have a vote. And why are they doing this stuff? Well, here's one CNN poll. CNN poll. Tilted left with people who say they're conservative, but they aren't, which is Anna Navarro and everybody else they bring on there. So the viewers of CNN, I'm a conservative, but I'm for abortion till till death. You know, the whole life, just abort them fuckers. Seven in ten said the economy's doing well. Seven in ten. They got nothing to run on. That's why they're going to have their one 2019 damn presidential debate be devoted exclusively to LGBTQ issues. They're going to get on the stage and out intersectionality. No, I really don't care about uh, transgender rights. I only care about 
women of color transgender rights, which is really men that don't want to be women. Oh, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. I'm going to pick off the sexes. So, yeah, anybody who's black and transgender, I care about. Oh, Latino, too. I forgot Latino. It made people do tweet screeds that I think are really good. Momo, who we cover all the time. Democratic platform proposals. Abolish the Electoral College. Expand SCOTUS, which, for those that haven't heard it, they want to stack it with extra people so that when people die, they can shove people in because it's not fair that Trump won and now he gets to put probably three people in. It's going to make it a right-leaning you know, SCOTUS and they can't have that. Even though... Roberts, who was put in by Bush, has given you gay marriage. He has given you fucking everything because he that's how he perceived the law. And I've said it on the show. Conservative-leaning people who are on the fucking Supreme Court aren't Kagan. Aren't Sotomayor. They're not activist judges who became Supreme Court people. And so they keep advocating for policies that have nothing to do with the law. Those people take the 14th Amendment and twist it to mean everything. Maps. I mean, yeah. Sure, he raped 10 kids, but he's a person too. Make the Senate representative of population. They want to change the number of seats so that New York, California, Portland, Washington, only the coast get extra people. Make the Senate, oh, I'm sorry, let 16-year-olds vote. Have a policy suggestion box, massive wealth redistribution through tax and uh, environmental policy, reparations, permit killing viable babies. Basically, more direct democracy followed by punitive top-down government, fiat by bloated in intercrafts. Seems like a winner. These people should read Federalist Number 10 on factions, a number of citizens who are united and educated by some common impulse of passion or of interest adverse to the rights of other citizens or to the permanent and aggregated interest of the community. The faction impulse is demonstrated well by Democrats' desire for abortion on demand for any reason at any time. According to them, the law should not protect those who are hapless and have no voice. And she's dead right. And then Scott's Fry, a female. The Green New Deal is a hot pile of garbage, in my opinion. In the name of environmental, it upends our economic system and encodes a bunch of social justice twaddle that has little to do with any definition of justice ever. Lots of chest thumping about who is responsible for this monstrosity. But seriously, where did it come from? Especially this World War II mobilization crap. Well, it was not... Best Supporting Actress Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, the Justice Democrats of Bernie Sanders. Let's take a little trip, shall we? Here is Michael Harrington, founder of the DSA in 1988. He's basically saying danger leads to opportunity to implement large-scale government programs. The idea that a crisis is required to push the far-left agenda is not new. Unfortunately for them, these large-scale crises have not materialized. And the financial collapse is predicted not happen. Now we have a climate crisis carefully placed in the mid-range future for the 10th time. It's honestly like a bad rerun. However, the first time a wartime mobilization was proposed by policy analyst Lester Brown in the Department of Agriculture, he was really worried about the Chinese having enough to eat. As late as 2012, he was writing about food scarcity. I remember that. Studies are showing that as Chinese citizens make economic gains, their diets improve. They no longer have to rely on solely local food sourcing, and agricultural techniques have improved dramatically. But even the Chinese eating better is now problematic. 
And that's true. They, it's Oh, they're eating too much, so we need to change the world. Anyway, next, Canadian professor Dennis Bartels published the first academic papers discussing climate mobilization in 2001. Brown's 2009 book, Plan B 4.0, Mobilizing to Save Civilization, calls for a World War II scale mobilization that reduces global emissions 80% by 2020. In the meantime, in 2007 campaign speech, Hillary Clinton said, for this generation of Americans, climate change is our space race. It is our home front mobilization during World War II, and it's our response to the Great Depression trying to express the urgency. Of course, Al Gore got in the battle in 2008. He compared the battle against climate change to fighting the Nazis during World War II in a speech. Hey, he won a Nobel Peace Prize for being 100% wrong. So we should listen, right? The rhetorical continued, but the first time a Green New Deal was proposed in a national political campaign was Jill Stein in 2012. In a tweet, she claimed the idea originated with the perennial gubernatorial candidate in New York in 2010. Where does the Green New Deal come from? It was the heart of our 2012 campaign. But give credit to Green Party U.S. co-founder Howie Hawkins. Here's some background on Howie Hoover. In his run for governor in 2010, where he proposed a like policy, the Socialist Party in New York endorsed him. Shocking, right? Back to Jill Stein. Here she is on C-SPAN discussing her central proposal in her campaign for president, the Green New Deal. It is also calls for Medicare for All and eliminating private insurance, as well as free college tuition. Here's her campaign video. Stein was using jobs crisis and a climate crisis as the basis of her proposal. You'll note, AOC still tries to do this with jobs. And it is pretty much a non-starter. In 2016, she continued to push the Green New Deal as a policy proposal here in her 2016 campaign site that outlines a policy. Does it look familiar? It did. It's exactly the same. Bernie Sanders was also running that year. His campaign centered around income inequality. While he had not shown concern for global warming and supported the Paris Accords and reduction of the use of fossil fuels, there was no proposal on the scale of Stein's. The first time it was showed up on an actual proposal in Washington, D.C. was when AOC, the best supporting actress, ham-fisted, shoved it in our faces. Now I challenge you to see the daylight between this. I'm sorry, between this and Jill Stein's rhetoric in 2012 and 2016. Or how about this from Democratic Socialist America Eco-Socialist Working Group. So don't you have to ask yourself, how did the central policy platform of fringe party candidate in 2012 become a mainstream proposed and embraced by Democrat candidates in the presidential primary? How did the Democrats get taken over by Jill Stein? Here's what Bernie and some Bernie bros had to say after the 2016 primary. Mobilizing millions of people to implement the most progressive Democratic platform ever. So what did they do? These same Bernie bros formed a brand new Congress and Justice Democrats electing AOC and others. And now the mobilization is centered around the climate cabal as a cover for upending of our energy economy and private ownership of industry. Do not ever doubt this is about money and power. All you have to do is look at the financial gymnastics performed by AOC and her campaign manager as well as the other Bernie Brawls. The real goal is and always has been to make everyone else's life equally shitty while garbage people like Chaka Bacardi enrich themselves. They monetize elections to the tune of millions while they want you to pay higher taxes and give up hamburgers. How about no? And how about we endlessly hammer the fact that their central policy priorities were endorsed by socialists in New York and originally proposed nationally by a Kremlin-loving, Putin-defending Green candidate, Jill Stein. This is what the Democrats have become. 
The DSA vision of transforming one of the major parties is nearly complete. This is because Democrats embrace the radical rather than drawing a line at basic American ideals. Free markets, individual freedom, and that pesky constitution. That is fucking amazing. Just amazing. If you want to read more or see it yourself and show your friends, it's Scott's Fry. S-C-O-T-S-F-R-F-Y-R-E. S-C-O-T-S-F-Y-R-E. This thread just blew my mind. I watched all the videos. I'm not going to play them. But that's where it all came from. Sweet Jesus. And now, boys and girls, next Friday, we're teaming up with Chris Hayes to bring you our NY14 Green New Deal Town Hall from the Bronx. MSDNC is going to play it for him. Yeah. That's just fucking beautiful. So as we go into our media section, I'm going to condense this. Because it's a long soundbite. These are Green New Deal supporters. And I don't even know what the fuck this was. Jason Howell tweeted it. And I stared at it when sweet Jesus. Extreme biohazard. Data from the deeper, denser dimensions. And so it is an extreme biohazard to make justifications for parasitism. That's true. It isn't okay. Friends, we have enough humans on the planet. We don't need any more humans. It is not okay for women to have babies and stop contributing to the process under the pretense that they're doing a good thing by staying home and raising children. We don't need children. If you find yourself pregnant, there are options and you can have an abortion. No babies. Cut off the baby factories. We have 7.5 billion with a B humans on the planet. That's too much. The actual ideal amount seems to be under 1 billion. That's under true. 1 billion. We have 7.5 billion. No babies. Women who have babies and stay home to raise them should not be viewed as doing a good thing. That's not a good thing. It's completely not what the situation calls for at all. I'm sorry. Find another way to contribute and be valued. That's not a good way. I'm sorry. And please, for goodness sakes, don't go into Western medicine. That is, That has become the religion of the 21st century Western medicine has and those people in white coats hold themselves up as priests they're they're saying that they know what's true and often what they say is absolutely crazy until we start to follow the money do a little bit of forensic accounting and discover that oh they have a financial interest in that Alzheimer's care facility that's why they're recommending that patient be removed from her familiar surroundings and be put into a care facility because he has an ownership interest in it. That's true. And so on. She just shoots up that big spirit or presence or soul or whatever word you like to use for it for ground zero planet Earth just squeezes up and out. And moving her up so it doesn't get stuck in all the astral currents 
doesn't get tangled. About halfway up, she starts to think that maybe it's a bad idea to have left, and now she shouldn't have left. So let's swish. All right. Dana Loesch, I want you to know that we will support your two children in the way that we will not. Uh, you will not. The shooter at our school obtained weapons that he used on us legally. Do you believe that it should be harder to obtain these semi-automatic and modif uh, weapons and the uh, modifications for these weapons to make them fully automatic like bump stocks? Well, first off, Emma, I want to applaud you for standing up and speaking out. And for anyone who has ever criticized you or any of these students up here, including people who have been on my side of this issue, I don't think that anyone should deny you your voice. Now, I want to answer your question, and I want to be allowed the opportunity, which is why I am here, to talk and have this discussion with you all and answer these questions. This is why I came down here. I don't believe that this insane monster should have ever been able to obtain a firearm, ever. I do not think that he should have gotten his hands on any kind of weapon. That's number one. This individual was nuts. And I, nor the millions of people that I represent as a part of this organization that I'm here speaking for, none of us support people who are crazy, who are a danger to themselves, who are a danger to others, getting their hands on a firearm. Let me answer the question. You can shout me down when I'm finished, but let me answer Emma's question. It is not federal law for states to report convictions to the, the NICS system. It's not, it's not federally mandated. We had three lawmakers on this stage, and only one of them hinted at reinforcing the background check system. It is only as good as the record submitted to it. Only one of them even got anywhere close to mentioning that. We have to have more than 38 states submit records. That's number one. Number two, we have to develop better protocol to follow up on red flags. Why did I play that again? CNN Tapper received Cronkite Award for Disgraceful Parkland Town Hall. You probably remember CNN's town hall to promote gun control and gun grabbing in Parkland, Florida last year. It's hard to forget such a disgraceful display of exploitation. This is the Daily Wire's article. Naked partisanship and vile hatred. Oh, and let's not overlook the fact that host Jake Tapper was the ringleader enabling the circus. On Tuesday, the Norman Lear Center bestowed the Walter Cronkite Award for Excellence in Television Political Journalism on CNN and Tapper for their efforts. CNN Parkland Town Hall, a two-hour special, aired only seven days after 17 students and teachers were murdered by a gunman at Majority Stoneman Douglas High School. And this compelling and powerful forum moderated by Jake Tapper definitely gave generous space to speak to gun control advocates, politicians, Parkland students, parents, and representatives of the NRA. The program helped advance the national conversation on gun control and violence, the jury said. Advancing the national conversation, that code for advancing the liberal agenda, gun control in its case under the facade of legitimate reporting. Of course, always eager to toot their own horn, CNN was swift to congratulate themselves for being a liberal policy mouthpiece. CNN's Parkland Town Hall has been honored with Cronkite Award. Congrats to Jake Tapper and the team who helped advance the national conversation on gun control and violence. Lear Center, CNN Communications said in a tweet. NLC director Marty Kaplan was quoted on Twitter proudly proclaiming, if the press is the enemy of the people, then being on this enemy list is a badge of honor for these exceptionalist journalists. Let's review why Kaplan supposedly found CNN worthy. 
From the get-go, Tackerberg kicked back and allowed the event to go off the rails and spiral into a French Revolution-style show trial against Florida Senator Marco Rubio and Dana Loesch. I'm not going to go through it again. We, we know. I played it enough. Um, remember, that she was called a witch, burner. This was an only disgusting attack against Loesch. CNN and Tapper allowed Parkland students. Gonzalo questioned Loesch's motherhood. That's what I played. Okay, so Loesch was outraged Tuesday after CNN boasted of the political award. Is this a joke? Seriously? She said and started a blistering thread. In numerous videos Loesch has since shared, the raging crowd can be heard shouting, shame on you, and she and others walk by. I showed up in good faith for a genuine conversation, knowing that the best it would be a tough event, she explained before blasting the network. The length CNN PR went to inflame emotions and exploit pain to put on a show is inexcusable, shameful, and it's grotesque. They're celebrating it an award for the conduct. CNN set this up like a WWE event, purposefully. They allowed Scott Israel to take the stage before the cameras turned on, an electioner. He took that time, about 20 minutes, to start blaming law-abiding gun owners. Tapper refused to hold Israel to account for his department's poor handling of the shooter's many red flags until days later on State of the Union. After CNN and Tapper allowed the crowd to get whipped up in a frenzy, Loesch said women tried to attack her to Tapper's apparent indifference. After the broadcast ended, one of my detail I had to stop a woman who rushed the stage to tackle me from behind. That is when Tapper asked me if I had an escort out. I am positive that CNN's camera is still operational, observed this, and would like them to release the footage. They wouldn't do it. Those with integrity would reject this absolute sham of award, but narrative and ratings, congrats on the show, CNN, Applause. By the end of the day, Dana Loesch, thanks Jake Tapper for unfollowing me after this, after I criticized the award your company won. He hasn't responded to the tens of thousands of tweets he's gotten. Because he's like Chuck Todd. He's above the little people. I mean, fuck you. What is your opinion? But this is CNN. It hasn't changed. Here's Baldwin just this week calling for the guns. But here's the thing. Did you notice how quickly New Zealand is taking action on guns? 72 hours after this attack. At least one gun shop owner is refusing to sell certain guns in the magazines that enable them to use more bullets. New Zealand's biggest online auction site has banned semi-automatics and associated accessories, saying that it is clear public sentiment has changed. That's a quote. Uh, my point is this. They have all come together to try and find a solution as fast as possible so this doesn't become routine. Routine? In America, it's just the opposite. Instead of coming together to come up with concrete solutions like this, each side runs back to its partisan corners. Sales of guns often go up after mass shootings. It is a crisis in America no matter which side you are on, whether it is concert goers or high school students or worshipers or first graders. Nearly 40,000 people in the United States died by guns in 2017. That is a record high, according to the CDC. And think about this. That Sandy Hook massacre, that was back in December of 2012. Seven years later, seven, the families, still fighting for justice and for change, just learned they can proceed with a lawsuit against the gunmakers. Proceed with a lawsuit. That's their victory seven years later. That's not journalism. That's being an advocate, an activist, pushing an agenda. But they do it all the time. Here's another soundbite just this week. They're shocked when Latinos say 
They and they even say it's shocking. Latinos want a border. New polling suggests that a majority of Latino voters disapprove of the job he's doing, but the margin of error is shockingly wide. CNN's Miguel Marquez spoke to Latinos on the southern border who say they support the president. The U.S.-Mexico border in South Texas, dividing countries and Latino voters. You were born and raised in McAllen, Texas, yes? Mm -hmm. And you live a mile from where we're standing, the wall. Uh Uh-huh. And and you want to see this not only taller, but longer. Longer and taller, yes. How Uh much taller? Twice. Twice as much at least. And you want the whole border, 2,600 miles? 2,600 miles. Yes, sir. President Trump for years. The Hispanics that are in the country legally, they love me. They love me. They love me. Has touted how much Latinos love him. Rolando Rodriguez is one of those who appreciates the president's business acumen, religious alignment, and border politics, particularly the wall. I don't think the wall is going to be a barrier really for, for the good people. It'll be a barrier for the bad people. The president still has some Latino support, about a third, which is on par with other past Republican presidents. You're working on your citizenship. I am working on my citizenship. I am so you a can't legal. Vote for Trump? Not yet. Mayra Gutierrez came to the U.S. from Mexico when she was three. She is working toward getting her citizenship and hopes to vote for the president come 2020. Her top three issues abortion, the economy, and immigration. We do have a lot of problems here with immigration, and I do support his stance for the wall. Trump supporting Latinos here say the president has more support than many are willing to admit. Wasim Hernandez is president of the Hidalgo County Young Republicans. He says membership has more than doubled in the last year. How difficult a sell is it to young Republicans, to young people, to Latinos in this area to to support uh, the Republican Party and the president? I'm actually quite shocked because um, the last time the president visited or the last time he came to the Valley, um, you know, there was a lot of people that were out there supporting him. Hernandez and other Latinos we spoke to have little doubt that with their help, Trump will win a second term in office and make good on his promise to fix an immigration system they view as broken. But it's just not CNN, all right? It's just not CNN. Staying with the Cronkite Award, fucking Chuck Toad got an award for his one-sided thing. But the worst was Jacob Jacob Soboroff got an award for the first national reporter to break the story on the conditions of children separated from the border for Trump's administration's zero-tolerance policy. He went on live TV, was ripping apart the fabric of society. But it wasn't when Obama did it. This is our media. I mean, this is our media. You can get away with that shit. Not ever reporting under Obama that the same policy was happening, that kids were in cage and things were much worse after he did DACA. Not just Trump. Because, you know, once again, democracy dies in the dark. Fucking facts matter. All these little things came out when there's a conservative president. When there's a Democrat president, these fucking toad piece of shit advocates, activists, lackeys of the Democratic Party, they take a nice hiatus and go find as many things they can to bush bash Republicans and suppress every story that gets handed them on Democrats. 
Then we got Jim Acosta. He went into his thing. I, I couldn't do a, a show without fucking Jim fucking Acosta running his cock trap. You heard the president start the, his remarks here at this joint news conference in that fashion, and then he was asked that question uh, by a reporter with the Daily Caller right at the very end. Uh, you know, it was the question was was asked in a way that really teed it up uh, like a, like a game of t-ball here in the Rose Garden. Uh, the president was just sort of served up a softball there. When the president of Brazil mentioned the term fake news, he got sort of a smile and a nod from President Trump. And and you know this this is something that we've seen since President Trump came into office, called this network fake news, has referred to the press as the enemy of the people and so on, is that this is a virus that is spreading around the world. When you have the president of the Brazil uh, calling the press the uh, fake news, uh, he is he is trying to uh, essentially, you know, in a sycophantic sort of way, uh, suck up to the president of the United States. I mean, there's just no other way of putting it uh, and, and trying to emulate him uh, down, uh, as they call him, uh, in Brazil as the Trump of the tropics. Uh, you know, this this is another example of what the, when the president of the United States says something here in the U.S., referring to the press as fake news, referring to the press and other derogatory terms, other leaders around the world, other governments around the world are listening. He likes to talk about how there is this media collusion game uh, that is stacked against him when he has one of the most powerful social media voices out there. And so I think that just has to be said as well, it has to be put on the record, that he is sort of, you know, pulling a three-card money uh, in terms of, you know, how he's describing the situation. Uh, conservatives aren't being discriminated and, and abused on social media. They have just as much of a landscape that they dominate uh, as the left does. And, and, and one could argue that they have a, a much... See, the thing that's scary about it is outlined in our next story. CNN's Brian Seltzer says it's vital for regular people to hold newsrooms accountable. He He said it. What I would say directly about the last two years and whether the press is living up to the challenge in the moment, I look at polling that suggests the public wants and needs what we do right now. But he acknowledged that even though it demands the work of the press, the public has to hold newsrooms accountable as well. For instance, when his viewer believe a female politician is receiving less fair coverage than a male, they should write to journalists covering the campaign. I read every email from a viewer. I read every. The email is the primary way that I hear from the audience, although Twitter and Facebook and other tools are also useful. I don't want to speak for every anchor and every journalist but i think a lot of folks read those emails and take those emails to heart here's the thing folks folks they don't know they're biased their worldview is always just them that they don't know anything else they don't know what it's like to be other how to be a conservative, how to, how that you are in for traditional marriage or, you know, you're white. They have been groomed and lived their whole lives in these progressive bubbles. White's bad. All white people are racist. Gays are just being pounded in the fucking streets. And we'll hear in our, this is America. They're on board for banning the electoral college because well, here it is. Matthew Dowd. Vast majority of Americans support a president being elected who gets the most total votes. Abolishing the Electoral College is not a radical position. Electing the president by popular vote would expand the number of states that are campaigning and give more Americans a say. No, it wouldn't. You say it right now. My vote counts to win my county. My county gets tallied. That's how we do it. They set it up so you couldn't just have... 
the populous parts of the country represent the country. They, unlike the media who never leave their bubble, realize this is a vast country. It's huge. Oregon is not Tennessee, and Tennessee is not Maine. Minnesota is not Nebraska. Louisiana is not Georgia. We're a huge country. People's wishes and desires and priorities are totally different. They're just different. But it's just not them. It's, it's, I was going to play the next one. Literally, NBC did a town hall. It was MSDNC with Booker. And one of the questions, do you think Trump's a racist? That was a question for a candidate. They don't even try anymore. And why? Because they were trained in colleges that are just like this. Lauren Duca, quite a bit, uh, she's a Teen Vogue, The Handmaid's Tale, uh, made real by Evangelical so she can bite some dicks off and calls Dana Loesch a soulless human blowhole. Wake me up when men are obsolete, are some of her tweets. Sounds like a person you like teaching you about journalism. Get out your checkbook and write a big fact check because New York University has hired her. Media coverage of our current political climate has been plagued by the mental napalm that I call bothism. Both sidesism. This is a kind of classic he said she shed form of journalism where the reporter tries to get both sides of an issue. Even if one side is completely bogus, we'll also hear it referred to as balance, although in many cases it's a false equivalency because attempting to appear balanced just serves to create more distortion. The truth is not a math equation. In the midst of the ongoing American dumpster fire, there is, I believe, only one side to journalism and it is motivated by building a truer, more equitable democracy. As this course will be established, not only does this effort allow for feminist journalism that renders feminist journalism a moral necessity. We cannot build to social justice without adequate representation of intersectional perspectives. Tweets count. Grading. Final grade will be calculated as follows. Please see the weekly schedule for the full description of each assignment. Class participation, including attendance and weekly assignments throughout the course, 30%. Op-ed, due by July 23rd, 20%. Professional Twitter account project, due August 6th, 20%. Final draft, 30%. Based on tweets. One of her classes, Thursday, 718, moving beyond the math equation of both sidesism. Portraits from a caravan, how and where to picture writing, Read this from a teleprompter. Donald Trump is unfit to serve. Teen Vogue. The New York Times hiring Brett Stevens is pretty much pulling a Comey. Teen Vogue. That's their articles. Washington Post. What did they do this week? They gave Aragon, a brutal dictator who beats journalists in the streets, an op-ed. Because of New Zealand. Yeah. They gave him an op-ed. That's our media. They don't know they're biased. You heard Seltzer's example. I I read those emails, and they're right. If I don't have enough people of color, if I don't have a gay person, if I don't have a feminist, that's what I care about. Not that you're lying. That entire piece is not true. You're an advocate. You're an activist. No. They don't care about that. And Lauren Duca... 
as much as she's a human dumpster fire, that is all of college. She just has the ovaries to write her syllabus down, and this is what it is. But that's what it is. My son went to college from 2009 to 2011. Nothing was different in little old Austin P. in Clarksville, Tennessee. If you didn't answer progressive, you were wrong. Just wrong. And Ted Kappel, Ted Kappel, Ted Kappel, he closes our media section out. He even says it. They're out to get him. And then we go into military corner. I'm, I'm terribly concerned that when you talk about the New York Times these days, when you talk about the Washington Post these days, we're not talking about the New York Times of 50 years ago. We are not talking about the Washington Post of 50 years ago. We're talking about organizations that I believe have, in fact, decided as organizations that Donald J. Trump is bad for the United States. We have things appearing on the front page of the New York Times right now that never would have appeared 50 years ago. Analysis, commentary, on the front page. I remember sitting at the breakfast table with my wife during the campaign after the Access Hollywood tape came out. And the New York Times, and I will, I will not offend any of you here by using the language, but you know exactly what words were used. And they were spelled out on the front page of the New York Times. I turned to my wife and I said, the Times is absolutely committed to making sure that this guy does not get elected. So his perception that the establishment press is out to get him doesn't mean that great journalism is not being done. It is. But the notion that most of us look upon Donald Trump as being an absolute fiasco, he's not mistaken in that perception, and he's not mistaken when so many of the liberal media, for example, describe themselves as belonging to the resistance? What does that mean? That's not, that's not said by people who consider themselves reporters, objective reporters of facts. That's the kind of language that's used by people who genuinely believe, and I rather suspect with some justification, that Donald Trump is bad for the United States, and the better, you know, the sooner he's out of office, the better they will like it. Whether that happens by virtue of indictment, impeachment, or election, we'll see. But I disagree with you, Marvin. We are not the we are not the reservoir of objectivity that I think we were. For I think, I think we're better than you're describing. All right. Loud and bold. 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 Lo
I want him to be remembered as the best father that anyone could ask for and also at the same time being the best soldier that anyone could ask for. That's the main message. I think he was somewhat fascinated uh, with the military, the infantry in particular. When Travis was at Fort Benning for basic training, we went down to see the graduation, and Travis said to me, you know, this basic training was the best time I've had in my life. Now, a lot of people don't think that about basic training, but he thought it was more fun than anything he had ever done. When he was in the 101st, the enlistment was up. They wanted him to re-up. And he said, okay, but I want to go with the 501st in Alaska. Okay? And uh, they said, there's no slots open. You can't go. He said, okay, I'm out of here. So he got out and uh, you know did some civilian jobs. He went to school over in Missoula for a short period of time. And uh, the civilian life just didn't do it for him. He had to get back in the Army. Travis knew the reality of serving in Iraq. He knew the danger. It was always the last thing he wanted to talk about. There were, the, you know, the conversations, you know, I'm going, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta do my job, you know, there's bad guys that, you know, don't like me very much, you know. He was very open about that. We went to Fort Drum for the deployment ceremonies where they cased the flags, sitting in the stands and looking at the troops on the field. You know, um, a parent always realizes that some of them are not going to come back. They were searching for a soldier that had been captured. They came across four Iraqis who looked suspicious. Travis got out of his vehicle and was able to apprehend one of them. But when he grabbed a hold of them, he realized the guy was wearing a, a suicide vest. And he dropped the guy to the ground. And the guy, the Iraqi, uh, detonated the, the vest. That is about a Medal of Honor is going to be given to a soldier for taking out a suicide bomber. An Army infantryman who gave his life to shield other soldiers from insurgents strapped with a suicide vest received a Medal of Honor on March 27. Staff Sergeant Travis W. Atkins, an infantryman belonging to 2nd Brigade Combat Team, 10th Mountain Division, a fourth drum was killed June 1, 2007, while deployed in Iraq. According to his earlier medal citation, Atkins had been conducting route security in the town of Abu Sarnak, Iraq, when he apprehended a group of suspected insurgents and began to search them. One of the insurgents resisted, charging Atkins, who grappled with them in a hand-to-hand combat. As Staff Sergeant Atkins attempted to subdue the man, he realized the insurgent was attempting to trigger suicide vets, which he wore under his clothing. The citation states, despite Staff Sergeant Atkins' effort, the insurgent finally succeeded in reaching his vest. Staff Sergeant Atkins selflessly tackled the suicide bomber, pinning him to the ground and shielding his soldiers from the explosion. And, of course, he passed.
That's not inside your media. We're not going to cover that shit. Army slashes old programs to fund new tech. Staying with this because I'm still trying to find out what the fuck they're killing. U.S. Army on Tuesday released its 182 billion spending request to fiscal 2020, which prioritized readiness, but also earmarks funding for modernization by targeting 186 programs for termination. The 1.823 billion Toplin top line request is a 2.5 bu- budget increase over last year's fiscal 29. And it includes a $151 billion base budget and a $31 billion overseas contingency operation funding. There's also an additional $9.2 billion for emergency funding for Defense Department, the document shows. To get around 2011 budget caps under sequestration, the OCO funding account, which is not subject to caps, receives a large increase across the department budget, much of which is programmed for base budget, sorry about the dog, needs rather than war fighting. Let me try to see if they'll talk about it. You'll see readiness. The Army is requesting $42 billion. This increased station unit training for 14 to 22 weeks for infantry. Oh, holy shit. So basic training for infantry would be 22 weeks. Wow. Funds uh, 25 decisive combat training center rotations for the active force. That's Fort Polk and NTC. It's still trying to get to 480, and it can't do it. Um, it looks like it's just all new stuff, but they won't. They still won't release what they're fucking taking over, which or getting rid of, which is killing me. Simultaneously, this came out: the army is rebuilding its ammunition stories for the next fight. Um, in this, the army plans to buy 5,112 Hellfire missiles this year compared to last year's 2309. Service also plans to spend $508 million on small and medium caliber ammunition versus the $382 million it spent last year. So for you plunkers like me, you might want to hit the old uh, cheaper-than-dirt website and get you some 556 because they're going to gobble up most of the market. Airman shot and killed while trying to stop armed robbery. A Westburg native serving in the Air Force was shot and killed Friday night in Arkansas while trying to stop an armed robber at a convenience store. North Little Rock police said Sean McCoe Jr. was killed while trying to stop a robbery at a Valero Big Red convenience store and gas station. I know exactly where that is. I used to cover down on a store there. The 23-year-old McCoe was graduate from Westbrook High School, was a senior airman with the Air Force. Police said he was on active duty and stationed at Little Rock Air Force Base. As a result of the investigation, detectives have learned that two armed suspects entered the location in an attempt to rob the business. The victim in this, in this incident attempted to stop them and was fatally shot. So, poor guy. This is horrible. Senators renew push to distance commanders from military prosecutions. There's still... This is fucking Gillibrand. And to be honest, I said on the show, I initially was for this before I was against it. I just sound like John Kerry. Um, Really, it's just because now it's becoming more. It's just not only um, the sexual harassment stuff. She wants them not even involved. And that just is is never going to happen. And then there was this story that never is ever in the media. Because if you put this in the media, it destroys the Democrats' pandering 
fucking talking point for my entire 51 years on this planet. And it goes a little something like this. General's family from segregation to command in a hundred years. Private Walter Beagles arrived at Camp Jackson, South Carolina in 1918 as an African-American draftee in a segregated army that relegated black soldiers to labor battalions out of prejudiced notion that they couldn't fight. More than 100 years later, this great his, his great-grandson now serves as the base 51st commanding general. Brigadier General Milford Beagle Jr., a combat veteran who took command last June, admits that it gets to him knowing he's serving where his ancestors served, but under vastly different circumstances. It does become pretty surreal to know that the gates my grandfather came through are the same gates I came through. You always reflect back to your standing on somebody's shoulder. Somebody put that stair in place so you can move up one more rung. Beagle hails from the same town with his great-grandfather, came from Enoree, South Carolina. The family dropped the S from the end of its name during his grandfather's lifetime. He said he felt compelled to enter the infantry as a young man, at least partly because African Americans once were largely shunted aside, considered inferior and suited to combat. That was one thing I did reflect on. Somebody at that some point in time said your particular race can't do that. At some point our ancestors fought so we could be in those frontline units and those combat units. Beagle has served in combat in Iraq and Afghanistan among his many postings. We've come a long way, but all they want to talk about is the old shit. That's it. That's all they care about. And it's fucking horrible. So, to our college crazy, and we start with a soundbite. Okay, I don't understand. How did this even happen? I mean, you obviously use birth control. I mean, usually we do, but I don't know. Ryan loves to raw dog. Oh, sorry, what? Well, raw dogging, it's literally his favorite thing. So how could I take away his favorite thing? My favorite thing is you not having a child with a guy who says raw dog. You're trying to take away my favorite thing. No, no, I just... You know, I've been using the morning after pill and it didn't work. Are you rich? That's like $50 every time you have sex with Ryan. It's just he liked me and I didn't want him to stop liking me, so I just went with it. Wow. You know, I just... What do you think I should do? What? Get an abortion before it becomes illegal or something. Yeah, but I, I keep having this little thought of like, maybe this is my chance to be a mom. Okay, you're going to have a lot more chances to be a mum, and maybe we just don't take this one, which is the one with the guy who makes you leave through the back gate. I just mean, like, there have been moments in my life where I, like, didn't think that I would ever get to have that, you know, because of what I looked like or... Because there's like a certain way that your body is supposed to be, and I'm not that. And that maybe if I was just sweet enough and nice enough and easygoing enough with any guy, that that would be enough for someone. Honey, you're being so mean to yourself. I mean, it makes me so sad. Well, I mean, it's 
it's humiliating to say out loud, but it, it's also the kind of stuff that's fucking going through my head all the time. Okay, well then we need to make sure that it's not going through your head all the time. And we need to untrain you from thinking of yourself in such a brutal way. I was going to watch this. This was the new Hulu show. But the character says, I feel very fucking powerful after boarding her fair, her, her baby. So one with the, uh, the girl from fucking SNL. I'm not even going to say the name of it now. I'm not saying it. Fuck them. That's just fucking horrible. My wife kept saying, no, we shouldn't watch it. I was like, we should watch it. It looks like a really good show. We should watch it. We should watch it. She's like, I ain't watching that fucking shit. And then I see this and go, I'm so glad I didn't watch this. So I wanted to get it off my chest and play that soundbite and just go, yeah, fuck them. Not watching it. School lets transgender advocate address kindergarten, says it informed parents they could opt out, and they lied. At the end of very end of February, an elementary school in Arlington, Virginia, had kindergarten sitting on the floor to hear a transgender spokesperson for the human rights campaign read them a book in which the claimant made that boy can have a girl brain but a boy body, or a boy brain and a girl body. The school district later claimed parents were notified by a letter ahead of time were allowed to opt out. But the claim was false, as Casey Chalk, himself the father of three small children, notes for the Federalist, a copy of the February 22nd letter provided to the Family Foundation of Virginia under the Virginia Freedom of Information Act shows absolutely no offer for parents to pull their kids out of the activity. Moreover, although the letter notes that a book written by a transgender person will be read to the class, it does not explicitly say the children will be told that they may have girl brains but boy bodies or boy brain and a girl body, as the book claims. Nor does it say that kids would be read to by a cross-dressing man who calls himself Sarah. Rather, it said only that there will be a discussion around the big ideas of the book, which are we want to keep them to understand that we need to accept and welcome all people. The Washington Post reported that in February 28th class at Oshawan Elementary School, which was taught by an openly homosexual teacher, James Foster, the transgender advocate, Sarah McBride, read the children's book, I Am Jazz. The Post added that the McBride finished reading the book. She informed the children, I'm like Jazz. When I was born, the doctors and my parents, they all thought I was a boy. When a young girl asked why, McBride answered, because society, people around them told them that that was the case. It took me getting a little bit older to be able to say that in my heart and my mind, I was a girl. Chuck points out the suspicious nature of the school district claimed that parents had been informed they could opt out of their children to attend the class. You know, so the letter the district sent was only in English, and many parents in district speak other languages. He added that the school district offers a program titled English for Speakers of Other Languages, High-Intensity Language Training. Exposing young children to matter as serious as gender issues, including transgender issues, would seem extraordinarily inappropriate. In 2018, Brown University assistant professor Lisa Littman published a scientific paper examining the phenomenon which groups of teenage girls suddenly express feeling of gender dysphoria. Littman suggested that girls were affected by social media content that championed gender transition. As Jeffrey S. Flyer, a former dean of Harvard Medical School, noted, the fact that Brown University deleted its initial promotional reference to Dr. Littman's work from the university webpage, then replaced it with a note explaining how Dr. Littman's work might harm members of the transgender community, presents a cautionary tale. Yeah. Do the study. It's science. But, oh, we don't like it. Take it down. 
but it's just not here. Houston Public Library allowed child sex offender to read at drag queen story time. First and foremost, who are these parents taking their kids to drag queen story time? Sweet Jesus. And a development that's raising even more alarms among concerned community members about the controversial drag queen story time program that have been increasingly widespread in public libraries. The Houston Public Library was forced to admit last week that they allowed a registered child sex offender to participate. After an advocacy group concerned about the implication of drag queens reading the children uncovered the criminal record of one of the participants in Houston's program, the public library had pulled the sex offender and issued an apology, but critics are demanding stronger action. Houston News Channel HKHOU11 broke the story after being contacted by the group Mass Resistance, which has been working to shut down the program, which it deems potentially damaging to children. Mass Resistance claims it has been asking for City of Houston for months to disclose information about the drag queen, and when requests went unanswered, they did their own digging. Alberto Garza, 32, who goes by the drag queen name Tatiana Malanina, what the fuck, was convicted in 2008 of assaulting an 8-year-old boy, yet he was allowed to read to the children, dressed as a woman. You know, a couple podcasts ago, we talked about that Schwisher skank talking about how she doesn't want her child, who's a teenager, exposed to Ben fucking Shapiro. Because he's a gateway drug for fucking white supremacy. Do you remember that? But they expose kids to way worse ideas the left literally believes conservatism is evil and their children shouldn't be exposed to it but you expose impressionable minds to you might not be a girl your parents might just picked you as a girl because they wanted a girl but really you want a penis does that make any goddamn sense Taking conservative conduct or con- content, be it videos about churches, about facts, about the Brown University, and you censor it on YouTube and you take it off Twitter and you ban people for misgendering. And then you shove it in little kids' heads. I mean, the Brown University study is like. Captain fucking obvious. My kids got exposed to straight edge. So they stopped drinking soda. We're worried about corn syrup. Didn't want to smoke. Didn't want to drink. Didn't want any drugs. A year later, they were exposed to a pothead motherfucker in my neighborhood. I like him. He's a nice kid. But he got both of my kids to smoke weed. They all started fucking smoking. They fucking started getting drunk as a skunk. You're a kid. You're exposed to shit. You do it. That's why there's an 80% recidivism. They're kids. Liberals are shoving their neck. Oh, yeah, I want to be a girl. Oh, wait a minute. Man, she's got a nice ass. Look at the tits on that bitch. Yeah, I'm going back to being a boy. Because they turn into puberty. (laughs) They find out what they really... When the balls descend, they want to get a little nookie. And vice versa. 
but you're exposing them at very young ages. Of course they're going with it. Fucking sickos. In line with the Hulu bullshit, because it's kind of out of order, but I wanted to lead with a soundbite. U.S. town becomes sanctuary city for the unborn. The City Council of Roswell, New Mexico, passed a resolution Thursday declaring its jurisdiction to be the support of fetal life. Something local pro-life activists say makes Roswell a sanctuary city for the unborn. In a 7-to-1 vote, with one council member abstaining, City Council passed Resolution 1928, 19-28, excuse me, which declares that innocent human life, including fetal life, must always be protected and the society must protect them who cannot protect themselves. Good for them. Also in New Mexico is home to the infamous late-term abortion facility Southwestern Women's Options and has come of the loose, loosest abortion laws in the country. Southwestern, Southwestern Women's Option commits abortions throughout the third trimester of pregnancy. In a surprise pro-life victory, though, the New Mexico Senate rejected the bill 24-18. Eight Democrats joined 16 Republicans against voting for them to get the whole shebang, make their abortion laws that you can do whatever the fuck you want. <clears throat> Sam Smith comes out as non-binary. I'm not a male or a female. The way you sing, that doesn't surprise me. Which leads us into our British section, which is once again, what liberals want. What liberals want. They want us to be fucking European on everything. Well, it's starting to get fucking ugly over there. Caroline Farrow, a Catholic columnist in UK, is reporting that she's under investigation by the Guildford Police for misgendering a child in a series of tweets after she did an interview with Pierce Morgan on Good Morning Britain. Carolyn Farrow's tweet had a message from the Guilford Police Line about my tweets following an appearance on GMB with Susie Green and Pierce Morgan. Susie Green has reported me for misgendering her daughter. I pointed out to police that I'm a Catholic journalist commentator and it's my religious belief that a person cannot change sex, that we are in the middle of a national conversation about what it means to be male and female. Nonetheless, following my appearance on national television, the CPS decided I need to be interviewed under caution for misgendering Susie Green's child. I can't sleep. I'm so furious. According to the police, I misgendered, which implies that I used the wrong pronoun and it potentially constitutes a criminal offense. Let that sink in. Coming to a theater near you. I report this like every fifth podcast probably. Somewhere in London. Scotland's done it. Ireland. Everything with fucking land. And I'm sure Greenland and Iceland are getting it next. LGBT lessons. Row. More Birmingham schools stop classes. Remember, we covered how the Muslim community lost their ever-loving mind over this. Because remember, as Ilian Omar talks about intersectionality, her relatives in Somalia throw gay people off fucking roofs. Let that sink in. Lay Trust said it was suspending the No Outsiders program until agreement with parents was reached. Earlier this month, the city's Parkfield Community School suspended the lessons after protests were held by parents. And now the whole school district is going that. They're saying it's not age appropriate. The community, the school is saying it is appropriate, but parents are going, go fuck yourself. And that's awesome. To local stuff, everything is racist. New York Times opposing social justice engine of light rail is bigoted. Woohoo! 
Yeah, here we go. You don't like the Green New Deal? You're a racist. New York Times reporter Richard Fawcett used his slot in the Lee National section Tuesday to dump guilt on Duke University in the name of racial and social justice for rejecting permission to use their land to aid an expensive light rail project. Opposition by college may quash rail projects. Some see Duke's veto as insensitive to the poor. Once again, are only black people poor? Are only black people not using electricity? Because that's your line that we make the pollution, they have to breathe it. Even though guys are rolling around in fucking old cars jacked the fuck up with spinners all the time, they use more gas than my fucking Jeep, and they're black. They get a carbon offset? I'm not reading it. The rest of the article is just fucking stupid. So basically, if you don't believe in fucking light rail and you don't believe in the Green New Deal, you're a fucking racist. Because only people of color are affected by climate change. If that's the case, then middle of the country, since we're all a bunch of white fucking racists, even my black next door neighbor, the gay person down the street, the fucking two feminists that live in a house that I think are lesbians down the street, they, they look like it, I don't know, because I don't really care. But the point is, those people are racist too. People who lived across the street were big Obama sycophants. They're racist. So we are. Can we opt out of this dumb shit? You do it on the coast. Spend all sorts of, of your money. Tariq Nasheed comes in with our next racist thing. In the context of Nev's history of making slick comments about black people, we have to ask a question about this photo. Is Nev just taking an innocent photo and being cheeky by doing the OK sign? Or is he using the white supremacist hand sign that has been adopted by racists. Everybody show pictures of uh, Michelle Obama, uh, Beyonce, Jay-Z. Hmm. Wow. Then to crazy news. Taco Bell hot sauce saves another life. I, I read this story to my wife. <clears throat> she drinks the shit. I do Texas Pete. She has the fire sauce. We buy a bottle whenever we can find it. She loves it. A few weeks ago, we were shocked to hear that a man survived for five days stranded in the snow by eating nothing but Taco Bell hot sauce packets, resulting in him getting Taco Bell fruit for a year. This started us on a path of thinking that Taco Bell hot sauce was magical, and now it's true. A man in Florida got up to go get some more Taco Bell hot sauce, an elderly person missed the break, went through the building, destroyed the fucking table he was sitting at, shoved it into the other table, and slammed it into the wall. Had he been sitting there, he would have been dead, but the Taco Bell hot sauce saved him again. Woohoo! That's pretty fucking awesome. Then UFO stuff. Around 9 p.m. local time on Saturday, March 16, 2019, this is in Vegas, an air ambulance helicopter was flying roughly... 15 miles west of central Las Vegas when something odd caught his aided eye. During an exchange with an air traffic controller, the pilot of Mercy Air 21, an Augusta a 119 Koala helicopter, which I don't know why we need that information, but it's in the story, noted spotting an unidentified object some distance from his position and only was likely able to see it in his darkness as he was wearing night vision goggles. The controller responded they had nothing on radar in the area where seeing the object, but when he heard the pilot could only see it through NVGs, his response was with amazement. And there were pictures. It wasn't on radar, but it was a UFO. 
I believe. Yeah. I don't do the porn, but I'm just like Fox. Was it Fox Mulder from fucking uh, The X-Files? It's as if God threw a stone in a lake. Mystifying circular hole in the sky stuns UAE. The bizarre phenomenon was pictured above Al-Al-In near the border with Oman. Due to its rarity and strange appearance, the holes are often attributed to UFOs. Scientists quietly and quickly explain it's a fall streak hole or a hole punch cloud. Fall streak holes occur when water droplets quickly freeze and form ice crystals, but it literally looks like a circle. It is crazy. I wish it was a YouTube channel because we spent another half an hour on this shit because that freaking thing freaked me out. Two uh, unconnected but thought they were really interesting because they came out at the same time. California man, 96. It's really sad because he's probably got Alzheimer's and he's probably all by himself. Found in home with 700 rats. But then we fly over to Texas. A Texas homeowner saw a few rattlesnakes, called in a company. They found 45 of the fucking rattlesnakes living in his house. How the fucking shit in hell? Why? Why? Send some of those rattlesnakes to the old man. Woodstock 50 lineup reveals Jay-Z, Miley Cyrus, and Black Eyes Keys are performing, which means it's not a Woodstock festival. It's a goddamn R&B festival. Okay. Even for the Woodstock festival and air fair, art fair, excuse me, became the most famous festival in music history. It was a symbol in 1969. We already know about it. Da-da-da-da. So Common, the guy who hates white people, there's so much going on right now. I think one of the best ways we can combat the ignorance, the divisiveness, the hatred is to go out there and push love, express love and practice love. It definitely comes through. That love comes through in Woodstock. Comedy, once of the artists delivering the message in August, along with Jay-Z, Miley Cyrus, The Killers, and others. The 50th anniversary celebration is set for August 16th and 18th in Watkins Glen. Tickets go on sale April 22nd. Other people, Chance the Rapper, Dead and Company, Grenavan Fleet, and the Black Eyed Keys. So, if the love you're talking about, you bitches and hoes, my nigga, with the A on the end, and fuck cops and white people, yeah, there you go, Common. That's a lot of love. I'm going to that concert. I love going to music that tells me I'm a piece of shit and you want to kill me. Woohoo! Yeah. Pet Cemetery premiere leaves fans and critics terrified. I want to go this really bad. The wife doesn't. She doesn't like um, Stephen King stuff. But this is just one tweet from this article. Perry Namiroff. Pet Cemetery is vicious, and I loved it. Super brutal visuals, and was thrilled to see Widmeyer and Kosh. Kosh. It's the O with the two dots over. I don't know if I can say it. Fully embrace the deeply unsettling themes of mortality from the book. And wow, Jet Lawrence. They really pushed it with his adaptation. Adaptation. And it worked great for me. South by Southwest. So, it's coming. We should all go. It would be awesome. To our lighter fare. And it's just a rando. Enjoy. So, Nick's out of town for the week. Look, clearly Savannah is the best place to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. We voted on it in RU and people have spoken. That's because no one from fucking RU has been to Chicago for fucking St. Patrick's Day, you piece of shit. I'll tell you this, from my sample size of the one person that I know from Chicago, they're ugly and I don't want to get drunk with people from Chicago that are ugly. 
When Nick's gone, it's pretty much Lord of the Flies. You don't know what the f*** you're talking about, so shut your f***ing mouth before I rip your tiny ass apart. Look, I'm not going to fight a woman. And you're overreacting. Typical. American Patriot Almanac. So for today, we're just going to do the um, history for today and tomorrow. I think we're reading some. I just want to do the history portion. So for the uh, 21st of March, 1617, Pocahontas, who died just before she was to begin her return voyage to Virginia, is buried in Gravesend, England. 1788, a fire destroyed 856 buildings in New Orleans, running ruining most of the city. 1790, Thomas Jefferson takes office as America's first Secretary of State. 1963, Alcatraz, a federal prison on Alcatraz Island in San Francisco, closes. And in 1980, Carter announces the United States will boycott the Moscow Olympics in response to the Soviet Union invasion to Afghanistan. So for tomorrow, 1622, Algonquin Indians attack and kill some 350 English colonists near Jamestown, Virginia. 1638, the Massachusetts Bay Colony banishes Anne Hutchinson's 1765, I'm sorry, banishes Anne Hutchinson, I fucked that up. 1765, the British Parliament acts the Stamp Act. 1946, the first U.S. rocket to leave the Earth's atmosphere launches from White Sands, this guy we talked, well, me and the wife read the other day. I don't know where I read it on a show. Our father of rockets. 1972, Congress sends the Equal Rights Amendment to the states for ratification. It fails to get through the state's approval to become law. Never made it. But they're going to, you know, get rid of Electoral College. It's just a done deal. For the 23rd, which is Saturday, give me liberty or give me death. On March 23rd, 1775, with hostilities between the Americans and British troops breaking out in New England, Patrick Henry stood in the packed St. John's Church in Richmond, Virginia, and made a fiery argument to the Second Virginia Convention that the time had come for the colonies to gather their strength and commit themselves to action. His ringing words still remind us that freedom must be defended. Shall we gather strength by irresolution and inaction? Shall we acquire the means of effectual resistance by lying supinely on our backs and hugging the delusive phantom of hope until our enemies shall have bound us hand and foot? The battle, sir, is not to the strong alone. It is to the vigilant, the active, the brave. Besides, sir, we have no election. If we were base enough to desire it, it is now too late to retire from the contest. There is no retreat, but in submission and slavery. Our chains are forged, their clanking may be heard on the plains of Boston. The war is inevitable, and let it come. I repeat it, sir, let it come. It is vain, sir, to exchinate. I don't even know what that word is. The matter. Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war has actually begun. The next gale that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. 
Why stand we here idly? What is it the gentlemen wish? What would they have? Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. That's fucking badass. Badass! American History Parade, 1806, Lewis and Clark expedition to parts of the Pacific Coast and begins his journey back east. East, 1857, Elisha Otis installs the world's world's first modern passenger elevator in New York City. Wow. That's a long time ago. 1965, America's first two-man space flight begins at Gemini 3 lifts off from Cape Canaveral with Gus Grissom and Young, John Young aboard. Huh. And then for Sunday... Our American History Parade, 1765, the British Parliament enacts the Hated Quartering Act, requiring American colonists to provide temporary housing for British soldiers. 1900, Andrew Carnegie incorporates his giant Carnegie Steel Company. 1934, Franklin, or FDR, to make it simple, signs legislation providing for the independence from the Philippine Islands. 1958, Elvis Presley is inducted in the Army. And in 1989, the Exxon Valdez dumps 11 million accrued, gallons accrued. Jesus. That was horrible. I remember that. So, two, R, this is America. I could play politicians saying it, but it's even worse when the media do. So like last podcast where we want to make 16-year-olds vote, here's the media Stating we need to get rid of the Electoral College. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. Uh, You won't believe who really hated the Electoral College, probably even more than Elizabeth Warren. Here's a hint. It's a man who wore a wig and helped write the Constitution, which really narrows it down. Well, the first part, I was like, oh, he's talking about me? But no, No. the Constitution part rules it out. I don't know. Rules it out. Don't touch. (laughs) John Avalon, reality check? Here it is. So look, getting rid of the Electoral College. Radical left-wing fantasy or as American as apple pie? Elizabeth Warren certainly jumping into the debate. My view is that every vote matters. That means get rid of the Electoral College. And that's got folks talking, both pro and con. So is this just a case of Dems trying to change the rules because they've won the popular vote but lost the presidency twice so far this century? Is this an insult to the Founding Fathers? And could it actually even happen? Well, it turns out that this isn't such a new idea. In fact, the Electoral College has been targeted for reform or abolition some 700 times, according to Jesse Wegman, who's writing a book on the subject. That's more than any other part of the Constitution. It was the subject of intense debate among the founders. The biggest controversy is the winner-take-all structure. James Madison, not a fan. He even called it evil at its maximum. One year after he wrote that, Andrew Jackson won the popular vote, but John Quincy Adams became president. First of five times that's happened in our history. Happened again in 1876 and 1888, which made incumbent Grover Cleveland so mad, 
that he ran again four years later and reclaimed the office his supporters felt had been stolen from him. This little glitch didn't happen during the 20th century, but reform efforts continued. In fact, Indiana Senator Birch Bayh, who just last week died at age 91, came within a few votes of advancing an amendment to abolish the Electoral College and replace it with a direct popular vote. By 1968, his effort commanded 80% approval, according to Gallup. One year later, the House of Representatives voted overwhelmingly to abolish the Electoral College. Even President Nixon was on board, but was filibustered to death in the Senate by Southerners led by Strom Thurmond. Now, all of this was more or less forgotten until 2000, when George W. Bush won despite losing the popular vote. By that time, we were all getting a little used to the depressing idea that if you don't live in one of a handful of swing states, your vote's going to be taken for granted. So a new idea began percolating. It's called the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact. Complicated name? It's actually pretty simple. States pass legislation committing their electoral college delegates to vote for the winner of the national popular vote. So far, 12 states and the nation's capital passed it. Colorado just last week. It's gotten support from Republicans as well as Democrats. And here's the thing. The compact won't kick in unless they get enough states to hit the requisite 270 electoral votes. And they still got a way to go. Oregon, New Mexico, and Nevada look like they may be next. This will face a court challenge, but it won't credibly be based on the right of states to allocate the electors however they like. That's settled. Instead, the big question is whether the compact between the states is constitutional. Look, Trump lost the popular vote by an unprecedented margin, but won the Electoral College because of 78,000 votes in three states. That certainly brought the idea back, but it's been debated since the days of James Madison. Now there's just renewed focus on figuring out how to make every American's vote count equally for president. And that's your reality check. Warwick, it's interesting, though, John, is the absence of a movement in red states or the states that always vote one way. Until we see that, I'm not so sure I will believe there is a national push to get it done. There's certainly that obstacle. It's a reflection of our polarization, which is why I think it's so fascinating that back in 1968, it had 80% approval in the nation. And we came really close to getting that amendment passed. All right, John Avalon, that was very interesting. Thank you so much for that. So, college system. So let's stop right here for a second. And okay. Willie, I mean, think about this fact, that two of our last three presidents yep. have got to the White House despite the fact their opponents got more votes than they did. And for a nation that believes in one person, one vote, uh, that's just not a system that, can, that really can continue uh, effectively much longer if, if this happens again. Well, it's not an easy thing to explain. Let's say you had an 11 and a 9-year-old, and they say, wait a minute, she got more votes than he did? Why is he president? And you try to explain it, you go back to your Vanderbilt political science days and explain the reasons for it and the defenses of it, and there are some. And I also know that these senators and congresspeople would not be speaking out so clearly if the election had gone the other way. In other words, if they'd won the Electoral College and, and lost the, the, the general election, they'd lost the popular vote. So it's a conversation for sure, and it's, I think, a litmus test for a lot of these candidates. They're being asked about the, the popular vote here. They're asking about the Electoral College. They're being asked about reparations, which Elizabeth Warren came out uh, in favor of last night. It was fascinating as a window, Joe, into my social life. I was watching at 8 o'clock mm -hmm. last night. Kirsten Gillibrand with Chris Hayes last night on MSNBC oh, and yeah. then switched right, over uh, just for a few minutes before I came back to Rachel and watched, um, yeah. I watched Elizabeth Warren. 
And if you're a progressive, these are people with ideas. You and I may not agree with all of them, but they're talking about policy and they're engaging the voters. And it's not, in most cases, there are some candidates who maybe, but it's in most cases not sort of a cult of personality. Um, so I think if you're a progressive, you've got to be happy with your choices. I mean, you could throw Pete right. Buttigieg in there. He's a serious policy oh, guy. There great. are lots of them. And so them. if you're a progressive, there's a lot of options on the table of smart people talking about ideas you want to see happen in this country. So, Eddie Glad, though, let's play your favorite game. What if? What if Al Gore lost the vote to George W. Bush and then was president for eight years? Mm -hmm. And what if Hillary Clinton lost the popular vote to Donald Trump and was president right now? So, in effect, you would have at least 12 of the last 20 years uh, a president that got into office losing the popular vote. Tell me, how quickly would Republicans have changed this? It, I mean, it would, it would be done by now. Oh, we, we would already be to a popular vote. Oh, you're absolutely right, Joe. How do we say back home in the South? It would be in a bat of an eye if they would have done it, right? Yeah. So, so I think it's important. I think it's important for us to understand the origin of, of, of the Electoral College, too. Uh, you know, Madison, who's the genius behind our system, also understood that in terms of, uh, of apportionment, in terms of counting uh, influence in states, that southern slaveholding states were at a disadvantage because slaves couldn't, Negro, quote unquote, black folk couldn't vote. Uh, and so there was a way in which the Electoral College could balance it out, if, because if it didn't, if we didn't have the Electoral College, the South would have been at a complete disadvantage with regards to the North, because black folk couldn't vote in, the, in, the, in that time. So the Electoral College is rooted in, in some interesting sort of way, the original sin of the country. Uh, and it seems to me, Joe, that if we're going to get beyond this, we need to understand that and perhaps uh, uh, take seriously the idea of getting rid of it finally, once and for all. And Joe, to your point, playing the what-if game, on this date in 2003, the incumbent president of the United States, George W. Bush, announced to the nation that we are in the early stages of military operations to disarm Iraq. The war in Iraq began on this very day in 2003. Al Gore was not president. That, to me, is so fucking un-American. And how do I frame it? For those that are out there that are progressives, if in 20,000, or 20,000, 2008, when the Republicans lost, and they thought we need to get rid of the Electoral College so we can win. I mean, I know it's hypothetical. It wouldn't happen because we don't care about shit like that. But if it would have been forward by conservative, do you think the media would be so all in on it? I mean... Today, we, we, we talked about it. They want kids to vote, illegals to vote. They want to get rid of the Electoral College. They just want power. And knowing that they can't get that, they pander with it, and then they talk about the Green New Deal where they would change the entire country, everything we do for their social justice nonsense. I mean, I cannot understand how somebody watches CNN. I can't understand how somebody watches MSNBC. I do not understand how anybody could vote for a Democrat who wants all these things for electorally, you know, for, for elections, wants unfettered abortion, and hates our country. And all they talk about is how evil we are, we're racist, we're homophobes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I just don't understand how you get that way just over election. 
a one election. I've said it before on the podcast. I'll probably say it before it's all said and done. The harm that Hillary Clinton would have done to our country on important issues, like we would all be paying for abortion, we'd all lose our health care, we'd all fucking um, lose our guns. It would have been horrible. But maybe she should have won. Because if this is what fellow Americans think of our country and their fellow Americans, I don't know where we go. I don't think 2020 is going to fix this on the left. Until they make us the socialist states of America, they're not going to be happy. Until they get all of you out of your car while they still drive their cars and fly around on private jets, they're not going to be happy. They just don't want to change America. They fundamentally want to rewrite the Constitution. Now, I'm not scaremongering, because this won't happen. You'll never get two-thirds of the Senate to vote for anything. They couldn't even get that to impeach Trump. And then you'll never get the states to do it. The South alone would block this stupid shit. The middle of the country would block it. The coast would all be for it. But then we have media on board now. Just because they lost an election, the Supreme Court has changed. That's it. It's unfucking American. The system has worked since 17 fucking 76, my friends. The transition of power has gone on every four years. It just goes on. But if your answer is we need to abolish the Electoral College so you can only win, what does that say about you? Seriously. What does it say about you? And if you're a listener out there and you think that's the right answer, well, the youth of America are not with you. They may be on it with the Green New Deal because they don't know the details. But more and more kids are against abortion. More and more kids are starting to see, holy shit, I'm going to get taxed to death when I'm older. Because you've gone so far extreme to the left that kids always do the opposite when they become young adults. Very few of us do the same thing our parents think. How did I become more conservative? What was my worldview of traveling all over the place? Being in the military did it. But my mom was pretty liberal. No guns, etc., etc. Over time, that started to fall away from me. That was my belief. I used to argue with people about bullets. Well, you want to fix it? Go after the bullets. Now I'm 50 and I go, Jesus Christ, why the fuck would I even think that was okay? But at the time, to me, it was, you don't need a handgun. Handguns are for hunting human. Not enough people hunt squirrels to actually need a handgun. That's how I looked at it. But I evolved away from it. And I don't think the left understands this isn't going to be the way it always is. You know, remember, you told us after 2008 there'd never be another white president. You told us after 2008 there'd never be a Republican president. The Republicans would never run the Senate. They'd never run the fucking House representative. The entire state, states, would turn blue 
and we be a blue country. But over 3,000 districts, or excuse me, counties, voted Republican in 2016. We're a centrist country. And, you know, for those that hope Trump's going to get the boot, I don't, if, you know, I think Ben Shapiro said it best. If he'd shut the fuck up and stop tweeting, and from now until election day, not tweet. I don't see how a Democrat wins. I really don't. They're so extreme. They're going so far to the left at the behest of the, the media, to be quite honest. I mean, that was the media. And that's just a taste. That was eight minutes or something. Dude, I could have played this entire three-hour podcast, which I'll be under three hours, thank God. I could have played all. Just all of it. Seriously. It could have been just them talking about the Electoral College. Now, evil it is. It's racist. It's sexist. It, it fucking hurts ants. I mean, it's just the worst thing ever. And we've been reading them since 2016 on this show. Op-ed after op-ed after op-ed. It's just, it just disgusts me. If that is your answer, change the system so you can never lose, you think? As Republicans block Trump and his emergency declaration at the border, they did that because they're adults. They realize you pass a law like that, or an emergency act, and you allow it to go, lefties could say we're taking all the guns. Lefties could do whatever the fuck you want. See, Obama never thought of that shit. His I got my pen and cell phone bullshit gave you Trump to an executive orders that pissed you off, liberals. But you said it that way. You said there didn't have to be two-thirds for major bills, and it went down to just a majority. You did all that shit. Because you wanted extreme power, not thinking that you're not always going to have power. I don't care what the demographic of this country ends up being. We'll still be a centrist country. Centrist. Some will be slightly left. Some will be slightly right. And as I've said a million times, Latinos are not you. Black people aren't you. They're just scared of white people being president because you keep telling them they're all racist, that they have an R behind their name. But the family values, the religious values, abortion, gay, you go through minority groups, they're not you, white liberals on the coast. That's not what they think. They're not for eighth trimester abortions. They're not down with the gay shit. And nobody I know, I don't care what race or sex they are, what religion they are, none of us buys your 95 pronoun bullshit. Nobody does. Just college campuses in the coast. So if you truly believe this country's always going to be blue, and you're always going to win the popular vote, you're wrong. Right now, we've already reported San Francisco's getting gutted. People are leaving. And that migration from the West Coast over my lifetime, before I die, which maybe, if I get lucky, 20-some-odd years, 
More and more people are going to get sick of the coast, and they're going to start migrating to the center. And it's not going to do what you think it's going to do. It's not going to change the center. All these gay people that have moved to the south didn't change the south's opinion of gay marriage. We all start to assimilate to our surroundings. So those millions of extra votes you got in California, some suspect, because we're kind of wondering now how many of them were illegal aliens voting, Once they move away and get different surroundings, we all change. I was not a Southerner. But years in the South, I grew to love it. And the people and the moralities around me. And realized it was more me than what I'd been exposed to in Oregon, where they said I was a baby killer because I wore my greens to pick up some wine on a Thanksgiving in 2003. It just happens. It's human nature. You don't leave the bubble, so you don't know. The Washington, D.C., New York, L.A. bubble is not the world. There just happens to be a whole lot of people that live there, so they all vote, think, act the same. It's just a fucking fool's errand. But anyway, this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Fat Podcast. Please share this with family and friends. Send comments about the track or suggestions for segments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOP, podcast, gmail.com. Get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out the Flyover Politic Facebook page at at FOP Podcast and our Twitter page at FOP Tony Reed. Next podcast is going to be Tuesday the 26th of March, Year of Our Lord, 2019. And then we're going to do a 29th of March, Year of Our Lord, 2019 podcast. And then we're going to go dark. I'm doing my anniversary as my 32nd, and I'll be leaving the 30th and hauling ass to our beautiful cabin. I don't own it, but the same cabin we rented before. In Gatlinburg for a week of communion with my loved one. We are bringing that barking dog to her. Yeah, she didn't want to go without him. So, um, we'll go dark that week until that weekend. So, I figure we'll do a two this week, smaller podcast. This one was small until I started running my mouth. But I promise Tuesdays and Fridays is going to be at the 2.30, 2.45. And then we're going to start scaling this bitch back to about two and a half hours. That's my plan. Less sound bites, smaller subjects. I'm learning to vet myself and not do every damn part of every story. And we'll get it down. So uh, we'll look at the 22nd, or 26th, 29th, and the 31st. That'll be our next three podcasts. Until then, be careful of the pollen. Man, I was sick of shit yesterday. I did the kennel clean out, which is about a three-hour process of pulling off hay and putting new hay in for the fucking pack of wolves we have in our backyard. And I wanted to die when I got done. So take your damn Claritin. It's bad. Spring is here. Remember, disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yeahs. And as always, thanks for listening, my friends. Take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.